0: Welcome to Pick Six Movies, where each season we select six movies all related to a single theme. We examine the history of the people in front of and behind the camera, try to make sense of how and why the movie was made, and then discuss each one in way too much detail to see if they're any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with my co-host and lifelong pal, Bo Ransdell, we are exploring this season's theme of Monsters Are Universal, where we're taking a look at six remakes of classic universal monster movies. This is episode five, where we cordially invite you to join us as we take a look at 1985's The Bride, a pseudo-remake of the 1935 cinema masterpiece, Bride of Frankenstein. The Bride stars pantric sex enthusiast and blue turtle dreamer Sting as Dr. Frankenstein, and flash-dancing maniac Jennifer Beals as the title character, The Bride. And this movie is a real mixed bag of storylines and performances, but in the end, it is Clancy Brown's performance as the creature that stands head and stitched together shoulders above anyone else in this movie. This reimagination of the original film leverages the same spark of inspiration from the source material for its own unique narrative. It embraces many of the same themes of rejection, loneliness, self-discovery, rebellion, and more importantly, the need for an absence of love. But to understand how The Bride compares to the original Bride of Frankenstein, we have to understand how and why the original movie was brought to life. To understand that, we must turn our attention to James Whale, the original film's director. And to tell that story, here is my Pick 6 Movies Better Half, Mr. Bo Ranstall.
1: Of all the early Hollywood directors to have gotten their start in a prisoner of war camp, perhaps none is as fascinating as James Whale. The man who directed Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and The Invisible Man, all films we have discussed in roundabout ways on this season of Pick Six Movies, was worthy of his own movie, 1998's Gods and Monsters. But no two hours of hunky Brendan Fraser can capture the remarkable nature of Whale's life, Nor can ten minutes or so of educational pre-roll to the real show, but let's give it a shot, shall we? James Whale was born in Dudley, England sometime around 1890. He kept changing the date of his birth as he grew older, the narcissist. He was of slight build, and when his family could no longer afford to send him to school, he helped support his family as a cobbler. One story suggests he sold the nails from replaced shoe soles for scrap and selling shoe nails for scrap is a special kind of poor. Anyway, James enlisted in the Army in 1914 when it looked like he would be drafted anyway and was entered into the Inns of Court Officer Training Corps. He made it all the way to 2nd Lieutenant before James was taken prisoner on the infamous Western Front in August of 1917 and held in a camp until December 1918. This wasn't the kind of camp we've come to think of, World War I was, in some ways, a more gentlemanly war, and James got involved in acting, writing, producing, and set designing amateur theatrical productions put on in the camp for the amusement of prisoners and captors alike. It's here that he was bitten by the theater bug, but not before bilking some of his fellow prisoners out of some money with his impressive poker skills. On their release, James cashed in on the money he'd won from his compatriots and left the war with a love of the stage and a few bucks in his pocket. After leaving the army following the end of the war, James tried to make it as a cartoonist, but it just wasn't to be. He only sold two of his cartoons to the Birmingham bystander and instead tried his hand at the theater. He worked as an actor and set designer, a stage manager and director, And in 1928, he directed two private performances of a play that would change his life, Journey's End by R.C. Sheriff. The play is the story of two officers at odds in the trenches of World War I, and originally starred a very young Laurence Olivier as one of the leads. Olivier would later be replaced by whale favorite Colin Clive. That's James Whale, not the ocean mammal, of course, though I'm sure they would have liked Colin Clive too. The play struck a nerve with the veterans of World War I, and James Well biographer James Curtis wrote the play, quote, "...managed to coalesce at the right time and in the right manner the impressions of a whole generation of men who were in the war and who had found it impossible, through words or deeds, to adequately express to their friends and families what the trenches had been like," end quote. It moved from private performances to London Savoy Theater to Broadway, with James at the helm for each iteration. After moving with the play to New York, Hollywood took notice of the play's success and that of its director, and offered James the opportunity to be a dialogue director for the film The Love Doctor. Movies were transitioning into sound, or talkies, and stage directors and writers with an ear for dialogue were in high demand. Howard Hughes, the guy with the big plane in the toenails and jars, hired James to direct the dialogue sequences for reshoots of Hughes' Hell's Angels, turning the film about early war aviation into something for modern audiences. It was during this time that James met the love of his life, or as close as Wells seemed to come, producer David Lewis. See, James Whale was a gay man in Hollywood at a time when heterosexuality was a taboo subject, much less the love that dare not speak its name. But don't confuse this story with some tragedy about illicit love gone wrong. James Whale was a gay man in Hollywood and made no attempts to hide it. There had been a brief rumor of his dalliance with a young woman early in his career, but for most of his professional life, James Whale was an unapologetically gay man who lived with the man he loved, and how do you like that? While he did little to advertise his orientation, Unusually for the time, James did little to hide or deny it either, and most of Hollywood seemed to be fine with it. To quote Steve Martin, "...be so good they can't ignore you," and James Whale was very, very good. When it came time to adapt Journey's End to the big screen, the logical choice was, of course, James Whale, who had a hand in every major theatrical production of the play. Colin Clive came along for the movie adaptation, and he would join Whale for some of his most important work. Journey's End, the movie like the play, was a celebrated critical success that did some solid box office, too. In 1931, Universal nabbed James Whale up and put him on a five-year contract. He made Waterloo Bridge, a film featuring Mae Clark as a chorus girl turned prostitute in World War I, and this, too, became a success. Carl Lamley Jr., who you may remember from our introduction to The Mummy, offered Whale the opportunity to do any movie he wanted to do. James wanted to do something besides a war movie, so he chose Frankenstein. James called on his old pals Mae Clark and Colin Clive to fill out the roles of Elizabeth and Victor Frankenstein, and picked up Boris Karloff for The Monster. Karloff was an unknown actor at the time, having done 80 films prior to Frankenstein. Mostly bid parts though. Karloff, born William Henry Pratt, had been relegated to background player and often took up jobs doing manual labor to support himself. A side story about Boris Karloff, who really deserves his own spotlight investigation one day. The reason for Karloff's name change was not to sound spookier, though I would argue Boris Karloff achieves that goal admirably. No, it was to prevent the shame of his acting career from tainting the good name of the Pratt family. See, all Karloff's brothers were members of the British Foreign Service, and Karloff worried that his disreputable choice of careers would impact them negatively. His family in England would not see him from 1909, when he fled to Canada to pursue acting, until 1933, when he returned to England to film The Ghoul. He worried his family might reject him, but instead his brothers all vied for his attention. When it came time to do publicity photos, they jockeyed for position beside their now-famous brother and asked for copies of the picture to display proudly in their homes. Naturally and sweetly, this became one of Karloff's most told stories of his life. But back to James Whale and Frankenstein. After Bela Lugosi was bounced from the production along with the original director when James Whale took over, James went about revising the script, too. Universal might have been worried by Whale's ownership of the project, but there's no arguing with results. Frankenstein is generally considered to be a better film than Dracula, which preceded it, and shattered box office records at the time. The next year, James made two films, The Impatient Maiden, a comedy-drama about a woman torn between two loves, and that made Little Splash. The other movie, though, was The Old Dark House, which is an outstanding early example of haunted house films. Karloff returned, and the movie features a creepy house, a cursed family, and a psychotic pyromaniac. It's pretty great. In 1933, James Whale directed three movies, The Forgettable, The Kiss Before the Mirror, and the seminal The Invisible Man, which we chatted about on the last episode. It, too, was an incredible box office success. By Candlelight, also in 1933, and One More River in 1934, were both critically well-received but did little business. In 1935, though, James Whale would reluctantly return to horror and Frankenstein. Like a later horror maestro, John Carpenter, James Whale didn't really want to be known as a director of horror films, yet they were his most profitable movies and gave him the greatest freedom. The film was based on a scene from the Shelley novel in which the creature demands a mate from his creator. Whale cast Elsa Lanchester as both the titular bride and as Mary Shelley, This was Whale's way of nodding to the notion that the film, and horror in general, springs from the dark imagination of the creator. Colin Clive and Karloff returns as creator and monster respectively, and Ernest Thesiger was cast as Dr. Pretorius, a genius who manipulates Victor Frankenstein and the monster into creating The Bride. It is no foolin' a masterpiece, and a highly weird film. Pretorius has little people in jars, the monster is used in a tug-of-war of of authority like a kid in a divorce, and the bride herself is hardly in the movie at all, and yet it is tremendously entertaining and effective. Later critics suggest that the film uses its religious imagery to take a disguised swipe at Christianity, and that the movie is a thinly-veiled celebration of gay love, either between Pretorius and Victor, or the monster himself serving as a sexually ambiguous being. One line pointed out in the film is from Pretorius who says to Frankenstein, "Be fruitful and multiply. Let us obey the biblical injunction. You of course have the choice of natural means, but as for me, I am afraid that there is no course open to me but the scientific way." Also, Pretorius is forever cog-blocking Victor and Elizabeth in the film, but this seems like a stretch on some levels. While there is no question that a confidently gay man's work might have gay overtones, Bride is not necessarily a gay film, but rather campy art made by a gay man more evocative of queer entertainment than pointedly making a statement. Regardless of all that, it's a seminal film. You really should see it. The movie we'll be talking about in a minute, The Bride, is sort of an imagining of what happened after the events of this film, but we'll get to all that. James Whale was offered Dracula's daughter after Bride's success, But he declined, instead directing an early version of The Hangover, in which friends wake from a night of debauchery to find one of them murdered, but no one can recall exactly what happened. This was called Remember Last Night, but it was neither a critical or financial success, even though James Whale himself loved the movie. After this, Whale went to work on a film adaptation of Showboat in 1936, which was widely considered the best adaptation of the musical put to film. In 1937, Whale directed The Road Back, a sequel to All Quiet on the Western Front, a return to James's war movie roots. The movie suffered a lot of post-production issues thanks to, you guessed it, Nazis. The consul for Germany in L.A., George Gisling, said the movie gave an, quote, untrue and distorted picture of the German people. While the studio originally told the Nazis to go suck an egg, Sometime between egg-sucking decree and release, the studio did, in fact, make significant cuts to the film. But Germany banned the movie anyway, and talked China, Greece, Italy, and Switzerland into banning it too. Stupid Nazis. After the mess of The Road Back, Charles Rogers, the now head of Universal Studios, wanted to cancel James Whale's contract. But Whale refused. So Rogers assigned him to a bunch of B-movies with titles like Sinners in Paradise and They Dare Not Love. Only The Man in the Iron Mask in 1939 did any real business, and in 1941, James Whale left the movie business. He'd invested his money well, and James Whale didn't actually have to do anything. He set up a theater called the Brentwood Service Players and gave over half the seats free of charge to servicemen and women, and the proceeds of the sold seats were donated to wartime charities. He directed some theater, and most notably, toured the gay bars of the world while traveling with one stage production or another. There are some sordid stories about Whale and a Parisian bartender named Pierre Fogel, and that relationship apparently led to the dissolution of his relationship with David Lewis, who remained with him for most of his life. In 1956, Whale suffered a small stroke, followed by a more severe stroke later that year. When he expressed signs of depression following these strokes, he was treated with shock treatments. He was growing more and more dependent on others, and his mental health and faculties were in decline just as his body was turning on him too. In a death initially ruled accidental, James Whale died in the swimming pool of his home on May 29, 1957. Later, lifelong friend and lover, David Lewis, revealed a suicide note which read, To all I love, do not grieve for me. My nerves are all shot, and for the last year, I've been in agony day and night, except when I sleep with sleeping pills, and any peace I have by day is when I am drugged by pills. I've had a wonderful life, but it is over, and my nerves get worse, and I'm afraid that they will have to take me away. So please forgive me, all those I love, and may God forgive me too, but I cannot bear the agony, and it is best for everyone this way. The future is just old age and illness and pain. Goodbye and thank you for all your love. I must have peace and this is the only way. Signed, Jimmy. James Whale was cremated and when Lewis died, he was placed in an urn directly opposite Whale's own remains. And James Whale died as he lived, by his own damn rules. And now, a movie that would make James Whale spin in his grave if he had one. 1985's sting-filled imagining of the gothic horror tale, The Bride. Alright, uh, you were saying that you have a lot of notes on this film. I normally have about I don't know four or five pages of notes. In this case, uh, of course, I mean the Bride from 1985. I have one page of notes, and in fact, it is not one page; it is one line of notes, and it just says Naldo. Now, I'm not sure what that means, but listeners, I would welcome you to an investigation of that very question. The Bride from 1985. I am Bo Ranstall with me as always. Uh, my my lovely co-host Chad Cooper. Hey, Bo. Hey, you seem distressed. I,
0: uh, uh, the intro, I've got, uh, I've got a little something in my eye. It's just dirt. I'll be okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, not a dry eye in the house on, on this week's intro.
0: Give me a minute. Just, you gotta, yeah, yeah, give me a minute.
1: Okay. I'm right. I'm looking forward to a similar reaction when we do The Wolfman uh, next week, because I'm sure that has an equally emotional story behind it, such as the story of, uh, of James Whale, the director of The Bride of Frankenstein, one of the greatest films, uh, I would argue, committed to film in the early years of Hollywood.
0: I agree with that. The Bride of Frankenstein, when I... Look at the classic universal monster movies. That is the film that rises above all others. The six that we're talking about this season, when you look at those originals, there's no equal. It's just, it's so uniquely perfect in every way. Um, I
1: love it. And and it's interesting to me that James Whale is responsible for the original films for three of the movies we talk about on this season, which is The Invisible Man, Frankenstein, and Bride of Frankenstein. All three, directed by James James Whale, noted stage director slash unapologetic homosexual, which I only mention, again, because of how crazy that was at the time. That's what I love most about James Whale. He was just like, you know what I like? Guys, and how do you like that? I respect that shit.
0: Absolutely. And again, I'm sure that there is a wealth of additional circumstance and context to which we will never have you know accessibility or insight into but the fact again that he's helmed three of these films that are that are progressively in my opinion better than their predecessor
1: yeah like Bride of Frankenstein is almost objectively a far not almost objectively is a better film than The Bride but Chad let's get into The Bride because The Bride is a special kind of movie.
0: I've been looking forward to this for so long. I know.
1: <laughs> we, we've been talking about this just between you and I for weeks now about how excited <laughs> we are to record this one.
0: We've been trying not to talk about it. We, we've pre- 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 prevented uh, uh, any, any preliminary conversation. So let's, let's, let's just talk through it. So when the movie opens, we get this generic version of Climb Every Mountain." Or maybe it's the love theme from Dr. Zhivago. It's one of those musical scores where you can hear the montage of all of the different musical motifs that you will hear in the film. There's going to be the love theme interwoven with the action-adventure scene. It all comes together to let you know, as an audience member, you have made a terrible, terrible mistake By coming to see a remake of The Bride of Frankenstein.
1: (laughs) It's not really a remake, though. This is the thing that really both bugs me about the movie and is also i think to its credit in some ways is it presupposes that the bride of frankenstein which the original film uh of course ends with frankenstein's monster saying we belong dead and blowing the ever-living shit out of the tower where you know elsa lanchester as the uh the bride has been created destroying himself and dr pretorius and the bride and you know i think victor and elizabeth escape with their lives barely and that kind of thing but the point of this movie seems to be like no 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 that ain't what really happened if it had begun with someone saying but here's The real story, almost a Paul Harvey kind of kind of move where it's like, no, no, no. What if the monster fuck Dr. Pretorius? That never happened. But what if the monster was like, make me a lady? And Dr. Frankenstein does. And when he unwraps the lady, he's like, this is far too attractive. A monstrous creation to give to this asshole.
0: Are you saying that you think the bride is akin to this? new third halloween movie just like forget all that other shit that happened right we're gonna we're we're gonna detour in the timeline of things and pick it up where the bride was created and we're gonna tell you a wholly different insane story
1: yes and in fact i think you can easily say without reservation this new halloween movie is the bride of halloween movies
0: You should never say that to anyone other than me, or you might get
1: punched in the mouth. (laughs) This is a total sidebar. I have so little interest in this new Halloween movie, which seems crazy because of how much I love both the original Halloween film, the 78 film, and the Tom Atkins boo-soaked Halloween 3. I think both of those movies are great for different reasons, and I could not give a shit less about this new movie.
0: I've got a movie that you probably give less of a shit about, and it's called The Bride. (laughs) (laughs)
1: you can always tell it's a good movie when we immediately start talking about other films.
0: So I want to level set for our loyal listeners to understand who the players are in this film, because I'm assuming the majority of people have never seen this film. And first off, you absolutely should. It's the best worst thing I've seen in years. Yes. So the movie itself stars Jennifer Beals as the bride, the title character. And you've got to keep in mind when this movie came out, She had skyrocketed to fame by starring in the 1983 film Flashdance, which is a movie about an 18-year-old woman who is also a welder by day and exotic dancer by night, but she has a dream to get accepted into a prestigious dance school.
1: It is the Flashdance for all the female welders of the world.
0: This was the third highest grossing movie of 1983.
1: I'm sorry. I fucked that joke up. That joke should have been the footloose for female welders of the world. I just repeated the title of the same movie again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I'm a real victor, you know,
0: Beals in her career, she's gone on to do a lot of other steady work. She was in the L word on Showtime. Uh, she was the female lead in the the adaptation of Walter Mosley's novel Devil in a Blue Dress, which also starred uh, Denzel Washington. Yeah, that's a great movie. Um, It is a great movie. She was in the the Fox series Lie to Me. She's in a new upcoming series of uh, Swamp Thing. So she's worked pretty steadily, and she's a really, really fine actress. I want to talk about the second lead in this film, which is Sting, and he plays Dr. Frankenstein. And again, it is hard to describe just how big Sting was at the time of this movie's release. In 1985, this is the year that Sting began venturing out more as a with a solo career on his own. And this was the year that The Dream of the Blue Turtle came out, which was, I believe, his first solo album. And you can really kind of see that he was slowly getting into acting. I believe that the year prior he had done Dune and was just sort of looking at other creative outlets to be Sting.
1: Which, by the way, another recommendation, if you've never seen David Lynch's Frank Herbert's Dune, do yourself a favor and drink about a pint of LSD and sit down for that film. And if you can get your hands on the uncut version of it that runs like three hours, it's the best. I will kill him! That's Sting from Dune. It's amazing. And
0: and these are our faces on the poster. Mm Jennifer Beals and Sting. And you came in and you sat down and you wanted to see Sting, the lead singer of The Police, uh-huh. and Jennifer Beals, the sexy dancing welder by day, a flash dancer by night, in a remake of The Bride of Frankenstein. That's what the poster sold. That's what you came to see. But guess what? That's not what this movie is about at all. <laughs> what is it about, you ask?
1: So, Chad, if it's not about <laughs> Dr. Stingenstein... a name you introduced to me, and I now love and Jennifer Beals being sexy creator and creation together. What on earth could this movie be about?
0: I am so glad you asked (laughs) because our two leads in the film are actually the B plot. The A plot involves Clancy Brown and, As the creature. Now, Clancy Brown, he was Kurgan in uh, Highlander. I will always remember him as the head guard from the Shawshank Redemption. Mm -hmm. He was the voice of Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob SquarePants. He was also the voice of that giant horned demon suitor. In Thor Ragnarok, I didn't know that, but I was like, "That's that's he, that makes me love him even more. Mm-hmm. So he plays our creature. And David Rappaport plays Rinaldo. And David Rappaport is a little person. I was first introduced to him as Randall in Time Bandits. And until I saw this movie, I didn't really, really remember seeing him in anything else. But if you look at his IMDb, he has a pretty extensive resume of television and film work, both in the U.S. and
1: in Britain. Time Bandits is the big one for David Rappaport. And if I could diverge just one more time, and I promise I will not sidetrack this episode any more the entirety of this conversation, which is a filthy, filthy lie. But when you mention the Kurgan from Clancy Brown... I love the performance of Clancy Brown as the Kurgan so much that I was given the opportunity to write a children's film about a country singer entitled Elle, A Modern Cinderella Story. I rip off a line from Highlander that the Kurgan has nestled into that children's film, which is when the Kurgan is in a hotel room and orders himself up a prostitute. And she opens the door (laughs) and says, I'm Candy. And he opens his eyes like the shot is him in the foreground and his eyes open and he says, of course you are. That line is also in the L movie with the exact same setup. I'm going to go put that on IMDb Trivia. <laughs> Feel free. Yeah. Not a lot of people know that.
0: When one of when one of your lead actors is listed at the end of your list of performers in the opening credits of a film with the word and... Insert name here. Uh-huh. So in this case, we get all of these names, and at the very end of it, it says, and Sting. You know, you're going to be in a bit of trouble, okay? <laughs> <Right>. It would. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Would... And
1: one last thing. It's like if Columbo were reading the credits. Oh, and one more thing Sting is in this. It would be like putting Tom Cruise's face on the
0: poster for Tropic Thunder or Tootsie starring Bill Murray. Like what are you what what are we talking about here? Who's starring in this movie? This doesn't make any sense at all. So you know you're in trouble when you get the and sting at the end of it. Uh-huh. So these are our players. Let's jump into the narrative. So at the beginning of this film, we're gonna start off in the castle of Doctor Stingenstein. <laughs> and we got thunder. Uh, we got lightning.
1: Very, very frightening. The way you
0: love me is frightening. Sure. You better knock, knock on wood. In this laboratory, there are Bunsen burners and flames, and they're all illuminated with like these purple and orange lights. It's a giant cartoon laboratory. And we we get this establishing shot of the castle at night. And there's lightning that flashes behind it. And truly the only thing missing is... But this is what I'm in for.
1: Right? This is what I want out of a movie called The Bride. Is I want a gothic castle. I want Tesla coils. I want the, the machine that just spins around and throws sparks that doesn't seem to be attached to anything. I want all of that shit. And to this movie's credit... It gives me that we got an Igor running around.
0: There are giant 10 foot tall tubes illuminated with purple lights, and they all contain headless bodies of nude women floating lifelessly in this giant solution.
1: Yeah. Is it weird that I was aroused for that? Probably. No, it's for you.
0: No, for me, maybe, you know, for you, for you, the, for you, the pond, you know. Yeah, but the or the
1: pond would be great.
0: I just want to say that like, this whole laboratory, it looks like a Halloween episode of Beekman's World combined with the last room that the Black Dahlia ever
1: walked into
0: under her own free
1: will. <laughs> <laughs> right. this It's sort of my dream home in a lot of ways. If you could guarantee me that there would be no bugs in that room, I would be like, this is perfect. Get a bed in here. And where can I put the big screen TV? And that's where I would live.
0: This episode is going to be entered into evidence at a court case at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I would like
1: to submit. Your honor! Season 5, Episode 3. Mr. Ransdell clearly says that he would like to have a, a big screen TV in a room full of naked, headless women floating in purple solution. What, the mannequins weren't enough for him anymore? I don't know if you've seen the movie Maniac, but that is Exhibit G, Your Honor. Dr.
0: Stingenstein <laughs> is wandering around this Crayola Gothic sex dungeon, Chop Shop. And uh, over in the corner is the creature, who is later going to be known as Victor. And every character in this movie ends up getting two names. So the monster is called Victor. The bride is called Eva. It's one of those, remember how uh, uh, John F. Kennedy was Jack, and Robert Kennedy was Bobby, and Teddy Kennedy was drunk? Hey-oh!
1: <laughs> <laughs> ah, well played.
0: So we have Stingenstein, we've got Victor Creature, and soon to be known, Eva the Bride. These are three of our major players, and we'll meet Ronaldo, the little person, a bit later in our uh. narrative.
1: Oh, not soon enough. One thing I, I'd like to point out in this scene is how fancy the corpse outfit that Victor, well, not Victor in this movie, because he's, what, Johnny Frankenstein, whatever the fuck they, first name they gave him in this one. Just call him Stingenstein. Stingenstein. But it is, yep. it's like, uh, you know, what's your name? Victor Von Frankenstein? He's like, no, 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 it's Bobby. Bobby Frankenstein, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> what? Are you sure it's not Victor? Nope. Frank Frankenstein. That's me. Um, so it's real stupid, but he invents this or not invents, but has wrapped up like a mummy call back to an earlier episode, Jennifer Beals. So that all you can see, like she's got this form fitting bandage thing on. And then there's the gauzy thing over the eyes. And it's like, why are you wasting all this time wrapping her up? You don't even know if she's going to come back to life or not. Clearly it's not for the sake of modesty, We've seen the naked bodies in the tubes.
0: Maybe it's like those eels in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Maybe that's what the magic that makes it all happen. I don't know. I got a bigger question for you. So we got Stingenstein, but he has this elderly man who is his assistant. And it's not Igor. Igor's going to come in a little later.
1: Kind of the Pretoria stand-in, sort of.
0: I guess he's clearly just an old queen. And he (laughs) looks like Eric Idle in partial drag. He's got this quaffed white hair. That has purple highlights. He's wearing bright red lipstick that, look, it begs to be kissed, an eyeshadow that cannot be ignored. Well, a lot of this, Chad, has to do with
1: high society. Uh, you know, as we get into the B plot of this movie later, which technically should be the A plot of the movie, but it clearly in editing. At some point, somebody was like, boy, this stingenstein Jennifer Beale storyline is fucking terrible. Hey, ronaldo's this victor ronaldo great. stuff is gold man <laughs> yeah. focus more on that and a hundred percent the right decision so up in the rafters we've got
0: igor or fritz or some guy with another name it doesn't really matter because he's going to be <laughs> ralphus is what seconds. i called him <laughs> And as you noted, there's this mummy creature wrapped up in some sort of, I don't know, like elaborate bondage sex sling. And it's, again, it's clearly the bride that he's going to be reanimating, I guess. Stingenstein has this costume that makes him look more like Count Dracula. He has this Victorian style of clothes. He's got this popped up, elongated collar. And also, just as a side note, Sting cannot act. No. At all.
1: No, no, no. His entire wardrobe came from Sting's closet. If you look at Sting during this time period, (laughs) as he's transitioning from the police to his solo career, this is just what he came to set wearing.
0: (laughs) They gave him a stipend for his own costume wardrobe and just went out and shopped on his own.
1: Yeah, you know, there was no Amazon, nor did he need one. He just had all this Victorian clothing hand tailored for him. So when he was playing, you know, If I Ever Lose My Faith in You or whatever... He had the collar to match.
0: Stingenstein and the old queen raise Eva up in the air to get her all uh, electricity-fied, and there is this contraption that they've built to conduct the lightning strike into Eva the Bride's body. That is only rivaled by Pee-wee Herman's breakfast-making machine. the The only thing missing from this scene is Danny Elfman's bum 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 bum. Honestly, I thought
1: somebody was going to shout "Mousetrap" at a certain point. <laughs>
0: This thing has sand that pours out of a cherub's face into an urn that counterbalances an arm that extends down to a glass globe that rises up to conduct electricity into the body below.
1: Which kicks a skateboard, which hits a boot (laughs) that swings around, kicks over the dog feed, which feeds Einstein.
0: It's just the best. My my next note on this is, in big letters, I love this movie. (laughs)
1: It's... It's immediately ridiculous, and I appreciate that. I appreciate a movie that's like, hey, hey, don't worry about nothing, okay? You don't have to take any of this seriously. Right off the bat, this is all a bunch of crazy make-em-ups. Because none of this machinery makes any sense. It's like, why just, why not just have the crank for the big globe thing, and you skip three steps in your Rube Goldberg contraption? But it doesn't matter, because the movie is silly. and And like I said, that's what I appreciate about this. Let's go. Lightning strikes and rushes into the body of
0: of Eva the bride. And then we see the creature our our Victor creature and he's sitting by himself and he just starts spontaneously having these grunting convulsions and it looks like he's having just three orgasms in a row, just back to back to back. He's just
1: sure. like, "Oh." Yeah, that's uh, it's called electroplay Chad. <laughs> it's when you get a little bit of salt water in a very low current. It's got to be low. You're not trying to hurt anybody here. You don't want to leave any marks. I, I referred to this as the Hey Handsome cell <laughs> that the creature is in. <laughs> but and it, like, there, there were like five movies all at once that rush into my head in this scene. It's Young Frankenstein in the Hey Handsome. It's that. It's Michael Clark Duncan from the Green Mile doing the zap when the, the guy from Evening Shade. Boy, that's a real sad state of affairs. Michael Jeter was the actor's name. And I went to Evening mm-hmm. Shade on that. That's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Chad, the classic sitcom Evening Shade, starring Turd Ferguson. But so that is rushing through my head. And then obviously the original Frankenstein stuff. And also fucking highlander because it's the kurgan as the monster and looking kind of like the kurgan by the way you know he's got the the kind of grayish makeup on and sure you got some more scars and whatnot but you know the kurgan had the big scar across his throat from when somebody tried to lop off his head and initiate the quickening I know a lot about Highlander.
0: There's nothing wrong with that at all. Clancy Brown as the creature, or as I'm going to call him, Victor creature. He, this is one of the absolute best performances of the Frankenstein creature I've ever seen in my life. It's one of my all time favorites. It may go up by the end of this episode. It may be my favorite performance of all times. That doesn't mean that it's the best. It just means my, it's, it is my
1: absolute favorite, right? But it might be
0: the best. Uh, I don't know. Uh,
1: It's better than De Niro's performance, I would argue, because the director in this case... Like, whereas Kenneth Branagh and Mary Shelley's Frankenstein seem to be telling De Niro to keep turning up to 11. The director of The Bride, a gentleman named Frank Rodham, who spells his name Frank with a C and not a K, and I don't trust that, Chad.
0: No, 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 no.
1: Frank Rodham, I feel like was real hands-off. Was just like, eh, Clancy! You you be the monster inside you.
0: Clancy Brown's performance as the creature, when I say it's my favorite, it's the same way that I say Richard Pryor's performance as the wizard in The Wiz is my favorite performance of The Wizard. Y- Maybe it's yeah. not true to the source material, but
1: it's just great. We'll get to that. R- right now, he's just jumping around like uh, Green Mile. Lightning zaps the big arm of the contraption, the big lightning machine and whatnot. And Jennifer Beals, a.k.a. The Bride, gets extra zap. where everybody in the room starts freaking out. (laughs) It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We wanted... To zap her with electricity But now we're super zapping her with electricity And I guess just cooking her
0: It should have dire consequences But it doesn't
1: (laughs) My note there was actually That uh, the monster has a Mr. Jangles reaction From from the Green Mile (laughs) Where Mr. Jangles just jumps out of his Cupped palms And scurries off under the door of the solitary room
0: My take on this Is that Victor Creature When she gets her double zap He starts going through convulsions That were like watching elizabeth berkeley have sex in that swimming pool and show girls
1: (laughs) i'm gonna need a couple of minutes
0: during this part of the movie this is where uh, we get an introduction to the idea that victor creature you know our monster and eva the bride are connected in some magical physical spiritual kind of way it's essentially the same thing that happened to elliot and et a movie that came out a couple of years before this one
1: or, uh, going back a, a year or two before that, The Corsican Brothers.
0: With Cheech and Chong? Yeah, of yeah. course, with Cheech
1: and Chong. Wait a minute.
0: Hold on. So, E.T. ripped
1: off Cheech and Chong's The Corsican Brothers. Yeah, it's essentially the same movie, except with an alien
0: and um, an arm that goes shoulder deep up a horse's ass to find
1: a brush. I prefer Corsican Brothers to E.T., quite frankly. Like
0: any movie where people are sticking their arms all the way up a horse's ass.
1: You would expect uh, that, like, your Jim Carries, would be engaged in that kind of behavior, not your Cheech's or your Chong's. It's a little too lowbrow for them. <laughs> it, it seems, yeah, low-hanging fruit. I got a Cheech and Chong story for you.
0: So Please? every single time I go into the bathroom to pee and i'm at a urinal and another guy standing beside me and as some men are are known to do you'll kind of freeze up a little bit and you got to wait to pee that's just a thing that happens to some guys some more than others but every time i go in to pee and you kind of freeze up a little bit i always think about Cheech Marin in nice dreams talking to Stacy Keach at the urinal and he says you know sometimes when you got to go real bad like you freeze up
1: you know <laughs> I sing Basketball Jones more than I should.
0: <laughs> we'll see if that makes it into the final.
1: Um, so around the the double zap, the body parts that come alive in the tubes, I think is kind of fun. Because, again, this movie is big and ridiculous and stupid, and that's what I want to see, is random body parts shaking around like Return of the Living Dead.
0: Yeah, there's some Futurama-style head in a tube that explodes, and it's bleeding out. Those naked, headless torsos blow out of their purple liquid tubes as well. It's just, it's total chaos.
1: Yeah, so Stingenstein and Dr. Pretorius think that they've overcooked her. And are like, oh, you know, boy, we really screwed the pooch on this one, I guess.
0: Stingenstein just walks over to the body. He does zero examination whatsoever and just says, well, she's dead.
1: Yeah, right. You know, it's like, what, <laughs> what mad scientist school did you graduate from? You should be like pounding on her chest. Live, damn you, live. And instead he's just like, huh, well, I guess I should go... Right, demolition man. Now, Eva the
0: Bride starts to moan a little, and Stingenstein is totally taken aback by this. Again, as you noted, he's not a very good doctor.
1: Right, like he's surprised he brought her back to life. Oh,
0: completely. I think that Doctor Dre has a more legitimate medical pedigree than Doctor (laughs) Springenstein, than Doctor Stingenstein.
1: Right. Welcome to death row. Says Dr. Stingenstein. The $20 <laughs> reanimated corpse pyramid.
0: He makes an incision into the bandages horizontally right across her eyes. Why would you do that? Why would you open the
1: bandages with a scalpel across the eyeball? Because he's a terrible doctor. He saw like three episodes of House MD and was like, I feel like I can do that. I think I got this. I think,
0: I think he saw that Salvador Dali movie where they slice open a lamb's eyeball. And he
1: was like, like I oh, think this is how you do it. Uns- on Sheen Andalou, I believe is the name of that. And the, uh, the monster, Victor, because inexplicably, Sting is not named Victor in this movie, it just drives me up the fucking wall. It's like, why wouldn't you do that? His name is Victor Frankenstein. It's always been Victor Frankenstein. You know why? Because here,
0: because everybody always says Frankenstein, and they think that that's the monster, but it's not. Frankenstein is the doctor, the creature is the creature or the monster. So in this movie, it's like, you know what? Let's just double down. Let's call the creature Victor, which is the name of the doctor because everybody's calling the Dr. Frankenstein or the monster Frankenstein. Let's just mix everything up.
1: Yeah. It, it's like they put a bunch of bingo balls with names in, a, in one of those <laughs> hoppers and just cranked it to see what character was going to get named what. We're quite lucky, in fact, that Jennifer Beals character was not named Victor.
0: Sting takes the bandages off and, and we see Jennifer Beals as the bride and she is beautiful. Right. Because you're expecting this deformed, hideous monster. And what you get is a woman that looks like she's on her way to a Ray Don Chong lookalike contest. And not (laughs) since watching the Twilight Zone episode, Eye of the Beholder, have I been more surprised to see a beautiful woman emerge from a head full of bandages.
1: (laughs) <laughs> That's a dream I've had of, you know, meeting that woman in a coma. A dare to dream.
0: It's definitely not Helen and Bottom Carter's zipper head we saw earlier this season. Eva the Bride is lovely. Of course, Jennifer Beals is a beautiful
1: woman. And Bobby Frankenstein takes off her, her bandages and is just like, hubba hubba, look what I did. Meanwhile, the monster comes in and is like, hey, you made the lady for me. Awesome. Except it comes out more like, mom. And in one of the the first moments in this movie, where it was like, I love this movie so much, Sting and Stein just backhands him. He's like, big on, foul creature! And gives him one across the chops, and the monster is immediately like, hey, man! (laughs) Like, we had a deal! And Sting is like, don't put your foul fingers on her, creature! And he's just like, the fuck?! If I had to get pimp
0: slapped by anybody, I would want it to be Sting and Stein. Because you know his hands are so soft and supple. It would be like having somebody just hit you with a loofah.
1: Mine would be McLovin. I don't think there
0: would be a lot of force behind that. (laughs) For everyone who's never seen this movie, which is everyone, it's important to note that Victor Creature in this, to describe what he looks like, he looks like a cross between Dauber from the sitcom Coach and Fred Rogers. He is this huge lurking figure and he's wearing like a v-neck sweater vest and he has this terrible comb over but he has the kindest sweetest eyes throughout his entire performance
1: yeah that's clancy brown for you he's he's a gentleman
0: I got to tell you, man, when I think Clancy Brown, because the first movie I saw him in, which made that impression, was Shawshank Redemption, and he scared the shit out of me. And every picture I've ever seen of him, he just looks like somebody who drives up to their house, jumps out of a van, walks up to their front door, looks around to make sure nobody's taking pictures of them going inside, and then just closes it, draws the blind, and gets up to no goodness.
1: For me, it was like Highlander in Pet Cemetery 2, where he's just a monster. But then I think of uh, of movies like this, which I have seen, The Bride. I didn't mention this in the upfront. I've seen The Bride probably two dozen times. Uh, when I was a kid, it was constantly on HBO or you know something like that, and I watched it all the time because I love Clancy Brown and David Rappaport. Uh, the relationship of those characters in this movie. I always knew that Clancy Brown was capable of kindness, and then you see him in something like The Hurricane. Uh, The Denzel Washington, you know, boxer film, the biopic. And he's a really good guy in that. And it just turns out that Clancy Brown is a really good actor who can play whatever the hell you need him to. But I like to think (laughs) that he is, by nature, more Victor than the Kurgan.
0: I'll go with that. In this movie, he's, he's just an absolute dream come
1: true. In direct opposition to that idea... Once he gets backhanded by Stingenstein and is like, hey, man, you were supposed to be making this for me. And now not not only are you not going to give me the gift that you promised, you're going to disrespect me. And then he decides he's going to blow up the castle and goes about just tearing the place apart and things are catching fire and exploding and whatnot. Ralphus burns up uh, the Igor uh, who's running around in the rafters. He catches fire.
0: The old queen gets crushed by a flaming support beam. And I got to tell you, I think that there's probably an insensitive joke there, but I want to let you know, Bo, I'm too woke to go looking for it. All right. <laughs> I'm woke as fuck, man.
1: But not so woke to point it out. That's that's what we call having your cake and eating it too, which reminds me, Chad, I would like some cake.
0: Am I using the word woke correctly there? I'm not exactly sure what being woke means. I think it means you can't make jokes that your grandparents found funny.
1: I think that's right. I don't know. I'll have to look at Urban Dictionary later, and that should tell me. <laughs> so but so after Dr. Pretorius <laughs> gets killed by the flaming log... Careful. It, <laughs> easy and <laughs> and Ralphus gets burned up Stingenstein grabs like the new honey he just made and is like like there's almost that uh xylophone clatter of feet like in a cartoon where he just grabs her and it's like hur, hur, hur. and then <laughs> just runs off with her and we also see that Victor escapes as well and there we have our opening scene of the bride which again is sort of the closing scene of Bride of Frankenstein of hey i want that woman no you can't have her well if i can't have her nobody can and brr, and big explosions and gothic mayhem
0: yeah, Stingenstein takes Eva, the bride, down to this room that looks like Mrs. Haversham's bedroom. Everything is all draped in thin white linens. And Stingenstein, he's just watching Eva, the bride, sleep on a canopy bed. And Stingenstein asks Eva if she understands him. And she gives this real miracle worker understand. And Stingenstein tells her that uh, you've had a terrible dream, you know, and, and as a way to explain to Eva kind of what's going on and that nobody knows where she is or what happened or how she got here. Or as it's known today, the full Cosby. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, my note here is he basically created a living fuck doll and if he's creating a mate for the monster, in theory, that's how all this started. Like, him keeping the bride seemed like a real game-time decision for him. <laughs> so, why did he make her so sexy unless all along he at least subconsciously was like, Look, yeah, I know what I'm saying. I know that I'm telling the monster that I'm making him a wife. But Bobby Frankenstein's a little lonely, if you know what I mean.
0: (laughs) Dingenstein tells Eva that she's safe and you should just sleep. Which, look, that is the creepiest thing that Eva is going to hear all day.
1: Until the next day when she wakes up and he's still at the foot of her bed like, You're safe. I just want you to know that I'll be here. Always. I'll be wrapped around your finger. I wrote that, Eva, for you just now. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we cut to Victor creature and he's out in the woods. And I think that I'm getting on board with your idea of this being a detour into the never or the, the unexplored adventures of Mary Shelley's uh, original characters. Uh, Victor creature wakes up and he sees a deer. And when he sees the animal he's like a six-year-old child he's just amazed by it and then he staggers through this lush green forest in a state of amazement to the outside world and during my initial viewing because I'd never seen this film I was so excited to watch it because as you know I have a love of bad movies I just I live in the bell curve that top 10% and that bottom 10% those are my sweet spots so I was like this is going to be terrible but in this scene there was something in my brain that was like hey this is this is kind of pretty good and this was the moment that this film won my heart and i could not help but love this movie at the end and i can pinpoint right here is when it all started of him seeing this deer well and then
1: after seeing you know the the fauna uh and and being amazed by the miracles of nature he sort of strolls towards town where he finds a time bandit being accosted by children
0: The the way that they're accosting him is it's a group of like eight or 10 kids and they're just being just assholes. And they're surrounding, uh, his name is Ronaldo. They're just poking him with sticks, which again, I get what this is like in the late 1800s. So that was probably what their only toy, just stick.
1: Well, you had stick and you had friend dead from typhus were your two alternatives. I was thinking it was
0: stick, rock, and slowly rotting corpse of a rodent.
1: Well, the ro- the rodent is how you got the typhus. I see. Yeah, it's a circle of life. Hey, I'm Emma. Holding up a dead rat. <laughs> Victor Creature rolls up, and
0: just his presence scares the shit out of these kids, because he's, you know, this abomination to the natural order of life and death. Victor Creature looks at Rinaldo, who barely comes up to what, like his knee? He speaks one word in the form of a question, which is, Man? And Ronaldo says, Yes, I'm a man in every sense of the word if you get my drift. Yeah. Which, what exactly does he mean? Is Ronaldo saying that, he, like, is Ronaldo coming on to him? He's like, Down to fuck
1: Victor creature? Yeah, I think he's just floating the balloon of, like, Look, I have a working penis. Is that something you'd be interested in? And of course, Victor, the monster, is just like, You know, I don't know, man. I don't understand these things. He's like, all right, well, just sit with it for a while. See what you think. We'll be spending some time together. If, say, one night we're sleeping in a cave and you decide to reach over and grab my working penis, I want to remind you of that, then, you know, don't stop yourself is what I'm saying. <laughs> That's subtext, but I feel like it's all there on the page. You know, if
0: uh, if you want to cross a bridge, though, you got to pay the toll.
1: <laughs> you gotta, You got to pay... The troll toll.
0: If you want to get to the Ronaldo hole.
1: Yeah, right. Ronaldo! <laughs>
0: Ronaldo says he's on his way to Budapest. And he invites slash demands that Victor Creature follow him. Ronaldo then bamboozles Victor Creature into carrying him on his shoulders. Victor Creature reaches out and grabs Ronaldo by one arm and to pick him up and Ronaldo just screams in pain.
1: <laughs> Ronaldo then <laughs> ah! Was like, no. I'm so happy you didn't just rip it off. Right. But he basically is like, hey, did you ever see Beyond Thunderdome? I'm, we're looking for a Master Blaster kind of situation here. And finally, Victor gets it.
0: Which this is the first step in Victor creature becoming more civilized as opposed to, I don't know, this... Masturbating bachelor monster, you know, that that we had previously seen. Well, all right, but so
1: here's the thing that's kind of fun about this is that Ronaldo is, yes, an opportunist. There is no question about that. He realizes that he is safer traveling with Victor. He doesn't have to walk because Victor can put him on his shoulders like a child at a parade. But also, Ronaldo isn't a bad guy. He's opportunistic, yes, and he is a thief, as we learn in a moment, but he also genuinely seems to care for Victor, which is something that Victor, one, presumed, if we are are to believe that this story kind of takes place after the events of Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, that he has never had a real friend, other than maybe the blind hermit, but he was punished for that. So once they're traveling together, we cut back to Sting and his buddy who seems to just perpetually have a hand down his pants and they're talking about i'm gonna i'm going to make her the new woman and it's the idea of feminism that this movie is trying to tackle at a time when you know this is sort of post era post original feminist movement post Gloria Steinem, all that stuff but the movie doesn't seem to really care like it, it traffics in the philosophy of feminism without actually being a feminist movie. Because, again, it's a bunch of dudes talking about how they're going to... Or, you know, Sting and Stein is talking about how he's going to make the modern woman a woman who is every bit the equal of a man
0: they talk about it here but this doesn't happen at all and they never bring it up again like this is the one and only point you're right it feels like that they are going to go down this path of saying i'm going to create a woman who is equal to man and help her achieve status within society achieve status that is above other you know women of this time period and make make some sort of statement in the movie but they don't do that at all and i just want to say his friend in this he looks a lot like ichabod crane if he just had like a shitload load of money and he's just this fancified victorian jackass he looks like the kind of guy who in present day would go to las vegas a lot or he would be the first dude on the train to Westworld to fuck robot whores.
1: He is a dandy with a bad, like an amorality, an amoral dandy. I don't know what the modern term f- for that would be, but it doesn't matter. He's an amoral dandy. Douche- dad. Is
0: it douchebag? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stanside tells his friend that he found this woman out in the woods and that she'd been struck by lightning and robbed of all memory. Mm, okay. That's your story. All right. Whatever. Where is she? <laughs> like, and he has like was she pretty and he's like yeah like well you know maybe she can be taught a thing or two is what his friend says and it's just like what are you talking about what are you wanting to do to this lightning struck woman what you know have her use the microwave and piss herself or something
1: and i think that the buddy is just like is she a goer you know like he's he's on board with like you're gonna fuck her right and stings like no 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 i'm making a modern woman he's like you're f- f- totally gonna fuck her and if you're not i'm going to then we cut to Sting later, where he's just hanging out by the fire alone with a crystal, presumably from the Fortress of Solitude. Mm-hmm. There is no snow, but I assume if he were to throw it, a crystal castle would emerge from the ground. And this is the, hey scene of the movie, where he's, uh, he's calling for Ava. And Ava shows up, <laughs> well, an actress, a model yeah, a perhaps-
0: body- Yeah, a body
1: double of Jennifer (laughs) Beals comes walking down the stairs, totally nude, head to toe. Yeah, and you get, for no good reason, like, clear bush in this scene. Yeah, you see her breast, you see her vagina, but you don't see her face. (laughs) Well, Well, no, because then you would be like, hey... I wonder who this actress is. Clearly, Jennifer Beals is not here on set today. I wonder if it's just his living prostitute, perhaps, and not Ava, the character of the film. But instead, uh, he's like, Ava, you're not wearing anything. And then she asks who he is. And he's like, well, I'm Stingenstein. And she says, well, who am I? And he gives her the name uh, Eva. And then, like any bad parent, he, <laughs> the housekeeper comes down and is like, good lord, put on some clothes, lady. You're making all of us feel very, you know, awkward and self-conscious because none of us are as hot as you. <laughs> and Sting is like, hey, uh, housekeeper, how about you, I don't know, teach her some shit so she doesn't talk like a moron. And that's it. Again, being the worst mad scientist ever, he's not even taking a direct hand in, how about you teach her some words and shit?
0: Yeah. And so at this point, our movie becomes, what, Pygmalion or My Fair Lady? That's what Uh, we're going to do now, right? For for a minute, yeah. Which is good, because over in the plot of the movie we care about, we're going to start doing Of Mice and Men,
1: right? Boy, are we.
0: Let's let's head back over to the A-plot, the much more interesting <laughs> narrative of this film. Because we cut back to Victor Creature and Ronaldo and they're romping through the woods. And it's here that Ronaldo uh tells he tells Victor that they're on their way to go join the circus. And Victor Creature says that he's hungry, so what do we naturally do? We cut back to Stingenstein and Eva the Bride and this housekeeper, and they're having dinner at this giant table. And then Eva says, I eat. Chin and Stingenstein just screams out no
1: <laughs> <That's> an, <laughs> That is the reaction <laughs> I want to use anytime somebody asks me something that is even slightly untowards. She she tries again and she says
0: I eat chicken and then she gets her plate where she proceeds to eat hands free like that younger brother in a christmas story and then uh, Eva the fr- bride gets a smack from the housekeeper and you know she grabs her napkin and starts eating like a civilized human being and then we cut back to, <laughs> to Renal- we, we, we we come back to Ronaldo and victor creature And these two are roasting a chicken over a spit on a fire in a cave while it's raining outside. And Victor Creature grabs the chicken and he starts chomping down. And Ronaldo he gives him, you know, a bit of a smack. And he's like, no, no, no. Haven't you ever heard of sharing? And Ronaldo teaches Victor Creature the concept of sharing over this chicken. And the two of them start to eat. Yeah. And it's here that the movie starts to play on these ideas of juxtaposing scenes with Eva the Bride, with Victor Creature, both doing the same thing, both being taught certain levels of civility, one on Eva's side, getting much more of the stick, whereas Ronaldo is much more a fan of the carrot in his style of, of, of teaching and, and education.
1: Exactly. And the difference is that Sting is yelling, No! Whereas Ronaldo is like, hey, man, chill out for a second. Like, you and I have to share. I'm going to take a little bit. I'm a small guy. So just give me this chicken leg, and I'm going to be cool, and then you can have the rest, and we're both happy. It's a win-win. And so we immediately see the difference between the two, whereas Victor is being taught with kindness, for the most part, by someone who seems to, you know, genuinely have at least some of... The creature's interests in mind, as opposed to Stingenstein and the bride, and all. Stingenstein wants to do is to create the perfect woman for him.
0: Ronaldo asks Victor while they're eating um, if Victor creature has any friends, and Victor creature says that he had a friend that they made for him, but she hate me. And then Ronaldo says, so it was a woman, was it? And he looks a little (laughs) disappointed at this, at this moment. And then he he says, you and I were bound to have a little trouble in that direction, which I'm like, I think he wants to fuck Victor creature. And he wants to do
1: something. Two things about that. One, you're right. Two, I like (laughs) the fact it's more sex by necessity where it's like, look, I'm a little person. You're a whatever you are. In both cases, women aren't going to look at us and say, Hamana, Hamana. So I'm just saying, I'm here. You're here. We just shared a chicken. That's basically like kissing.
0: (laughs) Victor Creature tells Ronaldo that the first time he saw Eva, that she screamed. And he, he says that she is beautiful. And Ronaldo says that if she is anything like Victor Creature, she has to be beautiful. Again, I don't know if Ronaldo loves Victor Creature or maybe, again, like you said, it's just, you know, a relationship of convenience in, in more ways than one. Because, uh-huh. you know, we all got a type. You know, Ronaldo's type is huge and balding and somewhat green-hued skin. Who knows, you know, hey. Victor Creature's type is, is Jennifer Beale. So, hey. Any
1: monster in a <laughs> you know storm, know? man. I mean, I'm just saying if there's grass on the field, play ball. I don't know how that applies here. I genuinely don't.
0: In the next scene, we get Stingenstein and his uh, best friend, Ichabod Crane, and they're riding horses with swords drawn, and they're trying to stab this bird hanging off of a rope on a stick that one of Stingenstein's house servants is holding up. It's like a piñata or something. It seems like a really stupid game. And then um, Stingenstein tells Ichabod that Eva can speak, but she doesn't make much sense. Dames, am I right, guys? Am I right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I like the fact that once again, his buddy is just like, so are you fucking? <laughs> because if you're not, I, I, I take that as an implicit, yes, you can fuck her. That's what I'm asking.
0: He tells him, he says, he was like, you've only taught her the alphabet and table manners? Nothing of men and women? You know what I mean. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Of course, Dingenstein knows what he means. What else could you mean, you deviant serial
1: rapist? This is the friend that we've all had at one time or another that is constantly going to bring the conversation back to getting laid. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. You could be at a funeral and they're going to be like, hey, did you see the lady in that casket? I mean, I do it right. I mean, when she was alive, but you know what I mean.
0: Stingenstein tells his friend he has no interest in sexual relations with Eva the bride because she is still a child. And this Ichabod buddy is like, child, child. He didn't say she was a child. How young are we talking here? Go slow. Don't leave out any of the details. Come on, man. Yeah. Well, just g- give me this. Which side of the quinceañera is she on? His Ichabod friend tells Stingenstein, he's like, you'll get around to it eventually. Everyone does. And Stingenstein <laughs> says, you, <laughs> you have very little imagination. To which his friend responds, giggity, giggity. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> there is a real uh, sense that. Like, before Stingenstein started making dead people alive again, that these two guys had their own little pussy posse going on. And that (laughs) Stingenstein started, you know, finding new interests, like reanimating corpses. And this guy is sort of left behind and is just trying to bond again with his old friend over the one thing that they used to bond over all the time, which is, of course, fucking. Sexual assault. Right. And... Possibly with minors.
0: Yes. We cut back to Victor creature and Ronaldo and they enter into a church and Victor creature goes into the church. And in this particular scene, he looks like one of those color headshots of Fred Gwynn as Herman Munster. His skin is really, really green (laughs) at this exact moment. (laughs) Right. Victor Creature goes inside and he sees the inside of this sanctuary and there's all of this stained glass and he says, Beautiful. And he's carrying this giant sack over his shoulder. He looks like Santa Claus. Well, he looks like Santa Claus's reanimated corpse. And we're gonna later find out that it is filled up with a whole bunch of Ronaldo. And this priest comes up to Victor Creature and essentially says, What the fuck do you want? And Victor Creature says hungry food and the priest again essentially says and i'm misquoting here fuck off we don't have any food here and the creature says money for food and the priest responds yes what kind of world would it be if every beggar could just walk into a church and get his living just by asking for it holy shit i don't think that this guy's ever seen a christian bible let alone read one
1: this is i think uh, a little bit of a swipe at at sort of religious hypocrisy i mean it has no place in this movie (laughs) because it's just danced over and then that's it but it also makes ronaldo less despicable for then cutting a hole in the bag and just swiping all the money that he can get his tiny fist around from the the tithing box, whatever, whatever you call that, collection plate. Um, <laughs> you can say I haven't gone to church in a while, Chad. I don't know the names of <laughs> stuff that happens in there. You know that special water that they use, Chad? The Jesus water? You know what I'm talking about. I don't know yes, the slang Hawaiian for po- it.
0: It's Hawaiian punch.
1: <laughs> no, no. Uh, maybe. So, I, I dig the fact that Ronaldo is immediately like, "How can I use this hulking beast to my benefit, both financially and sexually?" I mean, the sexual thing he'll come around to. <laughs> That's not a today thing. That's a eventually. Like, give it a couple of weeks. But he, yeah. So he swipes some money and um, and is like, "Oh my god, we have so much money now." And Ronaldo decides he's going to take the the Victor creature to a bar. To celebrate their ill-gotten gains and so he starts buying you know basically a thimble of booze for himself (laughs) because he's so tiny (laughs) like he's a little tom thumb he's just so cute and then he gets a barrel of booze for victor who is like this is delicious and just starts hammering back these big casks of mead or whatever they happen to be
0: i think victor creature may need to seek help you know my name victor creature i alcoholic hello victor
1: creature (laughs) it been four weeks since last drink victor have much regret victor making amends
0: (laughs) so victor creature slams down like two gallons of ale like he's andre the giant or something in in like 60 (laughs) seconds
1: yeah (laughs) and
0: then And then he immediately passes out, just kathunk. So all of the bar patrons just immediately put Victor Creature on this wagon, along with Ronaldo. They take him out to this bridge that is easily like 50 feet in the air, and they just throw the both of them off into the water, pissing their pants with laughter.
1: These guys are jerks. Yes, they are jerks. But also, Ronaldo was poking at him a little bit when they were in the bar, and it Because he knew he had Victor in his back pocket as, as sort of like, well, this is my muscle. And as soon as Victor goes down, then the rest of the gang is like, we're getting this fucking little guy out of here. He's kind of an asshole, am I right? So yeah, so they toss him, but it's still kind of a nice scene. It's very silly. But again, there is something about Clancy Brown and the look on his face as he's drinking these pony kegs of whatever the local <laughs> folks are selling. Of this look of both wonderment and pleasure and just sort of like, oh my God, this, what is this? Did you say this is called beer? It's so good.
0: You know, if he keeps this up, wait for it, he just might find himself on the Supreme Court. Hey, oh my
1: goodness. That's timely. I'm topical. Yeah. (laughs) There's a bit where Ronaldo and and the creature are, you know, back on the road again. And they're both like, fucking hell, my head. And Ronaldo has a pithy line about, you know... The, that's the downside of, of drinking as much as we did. It almost makes it, you know, not worth doing it. And the creature's just like, I swear to God, if I had my wits about me, I would kill you right now for making me feel like this. Like, you haven't taught me the morality of murder yet, so it is totally cool for me to kill you, Nalto.
0: Let's get back to the part of this movie that's least interesting, (laughs) because Stingenstein and Eva, the bride, they're hanging out by this giant tree and she's spinning around in circles and she's laughing. And Eva says, the world is so big. And then that scene ends. (laughs) So then we cut back to, (laughs) we cut back to Victor creature and Ronaldo who are hung over. Again, the editor was
1: just in the room. Like what's going on here. She's looking at a map.
0: Well, The map is later. The editing in this was—it's uh, out of place. I truly believe this because it—it it would make more sense that she sees the map, then she spins and says the world is big. But because she's dizzy, Victor Creature starts feeling dizzy, just like when ET got drunk, that Elliot got drunk. Which I kind of wanted to see Victor Creature getting drunk and Eva feeling
1: the effects of alcohol, but that never happens. Right. But and so that's what I'm Naldo, Naldo, <laughs> oh oh Naldo, <laughs> feel oh I'm dizzy Naldo.
0: So it's now nighttime and Ronaldo and Victor Creature, they're camping for the night and Ronaldo is mending uh, Victor Creature's clothes and ronaldo convinces victor creature to take off his shirt here we go bo Uh
1: uh-huh runs (laughs) his his little hands over the scars and it's actually again because i've seen this movie a bunch of times and there are little moments scattered throughout this movie that i genuinely love and this is one of those not because of the overt sexuality which is hot chad (laughs) But it's because Ronaldo, who has taken some advantage of Victor along the way, is seeing for the first time these terrible scars of where he was stitched together and all that. And he he kind of runs his hand along it and he just says, you've you've been mistreated, haven't you? There's a a moment of real sympathy, and maybe for the first time, you know, in this creature's life, there's another human being that is showing him some kind of sympathy and compassion, and you give him a little bit like the way that Clancy B- Brown kind of plays the creature in this is if you show him a little bit of kindness, he is immediately your defender for life, which is kind of what makes him wonderful
0: when Ronaldo makes the comment about Victor being mistreated, Victor creature says. But I am not a real man, and Ronaldo responds and he says, "You know, I've been around the world a time or two, and I've traveled with many men for quite a long ways. And you are a man to be reckoned with. You are a man of virtue." And Victor Creature looks at Ronaldo and says, "A friend?" And R- Ronaldo responds and says, "Yes, I am proud to call you that." And it's here that Ronaldo—it's—it's—it's oh. it's, it's a beautiful moment between the two of them. And Ronaldo gives at this point, Victor Creature is, is nameless, but this is the moment in the film where Ronaldo says, I'm going to give you a name, and he gives him the name Victor, a name that means he will win his heart's desire. It's just this very romantic, I don't know, an inspiring moment in the movie of of again just this, this friendship and relationship between these two characters. And it is and it works. It shouldn't, but it does. And it, 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 it'll it win your heart. It's really well done.
1: Yeah, it, it really is. The There is an emotional core to this movie that actually works. And for all the terribleness of particularly the Stingenstein storyline, any time that it's Ronaldo and Victor having a conversation and talking about like you know what we're going to make it big we're going to do this thing and we're going to move on to like we're going to go to Budapest and we're going to join the circus and it's going to be you and me buddy and I'm your friend you're my friend it's you and me and there is something I think universally appealing about the idea of these two outcasts who are very different from one another but equally mistrusted by society at large finding each other and saying like you know kind of forget what the rest of the world thinks of us you and me have each other now how about you give me a wank
0: <laughs> aside from the wank part i think that it is lenny and george it is uh, bubba and forrest gump you've seen this story where you have as you pointed out these two outcasts or misfits that are able to rely on each other one of them has the wits the other one has the brawn and together they can make their way in this world and and both of the actors are just so incredibly endearing. Yeah, yeah I can. I, I
1: super charming. I was
0: surprised at how much I loved it. Yeah,
1: you're uh, saying that he's got the brawn. I've got the brains. Let's make lots of money. <laughs> also a wink.
0: Well, it's, but it's it, it it's in this scene that Ronaldo tells Victor Creature that Ronaldo has a dream to go to Venice, and he tells him that this is a city where the streets are made of water. Which you know what? If you didn't know that that was a thing. That's a pretty fucking crazy idea.
1: It just makes these characters really endearing. Where Ronaldo has this dream of like, yeah, I'm going to go to Budapest and join the circus. But once I make my money there, I'm going to go to this place I've always heard about. And it sounds like a fantasy world, but I'm assured that it's real. And how about we go? But it's the idea of like, I have this dream. You have your dream, which is this beautiful woman that turned you away. But it's the dream that we have that matters. It doesn't matter if we fulfill it. It's the dream that counts. And it's, I, I think, a really good message. And it, again, makes these characters incredibly endearing and incredibly sympathetic and empathetic.
0: It's also in this scene that Ronaldo shows him this medallion that he wears around his neck that has an image of a gondola floating on the water in Venice. Yeah, it's it's a physical representation of this dream, and he shows it to him. He's like I wear this in a way. It's I don't know. It's similar to you know people who maybe wear I don't know a cross around their neck or something. But he he wears it close to his heart, and it's a constant reminder of him of the thing that is most important of what he is aspiring to. Ultimately, it's it's what he's working toward seeing this dream come to reality.
1: Right. Uh, similarly, like a locket with a child's picture in it, something like that. That's yeah. like this is why I do the things that I do. Because this is what matters. And then, then we cut to the movie we don't care about for a couple of minutes. Where it's just Eva and Sting riding on fucking horses. And Sting's chasing after her. And Eva's like, I can ride as good as a man. And Sting's like, like hell you will. And then gallop, gallop, gallop. And a lot of who gives a shit. Am I missing anything?
0: <laughs> no, let's get back to the part of right. the movie we care yeah. about.
1: So Naldo <laughs> and Victor finally make their way to Budapest. And uh, here's another moment that I could just fucking cry watching this movie where uh, Ronaldo is like, hey, have you ever had toffee apples before? Which are just candied apples and they're terrible and don't give them out at Halloween because children will hate you for it. But Victor is like, no, Naldo, I've never had that. And Naldo, Naldo, (laughs) I keep calling him Naldo because that's what Victor calls him. Naldo. Ronaldo is like hey I'm gonna go get us some apples because we got a little bit of coin and we made it to Budapest let's celebrate so he goes to get the candied apples and meanwhile Victor just wanders off like an infant because that's kind of what he is and Naldo uh, ends up losing the candied apples uh, because you know some people are assholes and he drops one and one gets knocked out of his hand and stuff but he eventually finds Victor sitting amongst children watching a Punch and Judy show. And Ronaldo is like, for fuck's sake, Victor, are you having a good time? And he's like, Naldo, the guy showed up and he hit her with a stick. And he's like, I know, it's Punch and Judy. We've all seen this. Uh, Are you having a good time at least? And he's like, oh yes, Naldo. And he's like, all right, I can't be mad at you. You're so, I mean, you're not pretty, but God, you're so fucking strong (laughs) when you cram my hips. Uh, No, you're perverting this into something filthy. But, But yeah, it's this really wonderful moment where it shows how childlike Victor is and that Ronaldo, even as frustrated as he is with Victor, he's only so angry because he also recognizes the innocence and childlike wonder that Victor has in it. Just like the audience, Chad, it warms his heart.
0: It's a great scene. I mean, again, (laughs) everything with them is just
1: perfect. It's so good. And so they go to the circus where they finally make it to the circus in Budapest and Alexi Sale from the young ones is the head of the circus and they've got one of them, um, you know, the carts, like you might have a, uh, a fortune teller in, you know, it's one of those kind of, uh, wagons, covered wagons, whatever the hell.
0: Yeah. Like one like one of the, the circus wagons that horses pull.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so Alexei Sale is in there with uh, presumably the saxophone guy from Lost Boys. I never got his name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's this asshole mulleted sidekick. That's what I referred to his character.
1: Bela. Yeah. yeah. And Alexei Sale is like, uh, you know, hey, I don't need a midget. And it's like, whoa, 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 man, we're not called midgets. It's little people.
0: Do you remember Sarah Silverman had a joke about the insensitivity of calling a little person a midget or a dwarf? And she said, "Um, I don't know what the correct term is. So I usually refer to them as, yes, you are. (laughs) Yes, you
1: are. (laughs) Yeah, it's (laughs) (laughs) I, I think technically David Rappaport was a dwarf. Is the, the, the proper terminology. I think that's that's when you get the kind of stumpy fingers like he has. That's more of a dwarf. At any rate, doesn't matter. He's a fucking amazing in this. So David Rappaport is like, maybe you've got a little person in your circus, but... I bet you don't have one that can do a trick like I can. And he finally convinces Alexi Sale and Bela to come watch. And so the trick is that he climbs up to the the trapeze and he's standing on it. He's like, and I get a little wobbly here. And then I start to swing and then I fall. And he, so he falls off, but the trick is that he's got a harness attached to him so that right before he's going to land, theoretically, right in the bleachers of the circus, he stops short and swings away. And it's a pretty good trick. Like, even if I saw it in a circus today, I would be like, you know, Naldo! Naldo, don't fall! And... (laughs) Alexi Sale, of course, is just like, I, I've seen that before in Vienna, but all right.
0: That combined with the fact that Victor Creature can hammer circus pegs like John Henry. Right. Is like what what gets them on, on the, the circus payroll.
1: Right. And the deal is that they're going to be paid one wage for both of them. And they're cool with that. It's like, you know what? We're a team. That's cool. And if you're going to hire my friend, I'm in the door. If you're going to hire me, he's in the door. We come as a package.
0: You want to be the president of Texaco Oil? You clean up that bathroom.
1: That's, again, this is what I like, is that Ronaldo and uh, Victor don't know nothing from nothing. He's not ambitious at all. Uh, He's just like, hey, where do we go, Naldo? And Naldo's like, well, we're going to be here for a while. He's like, okay, you're my friend. And Naldo, on the other hand, or Ronaldo, is like, hey, we're just going to get our foot in the door, and we're going to be a big hit, and we're going to save up this money, and eventually we're going to get to Venice. And that's how all this is going to go. I got a plan. We're just going to keep nudging our way towards success and i i I like this i like the fact that he's a go-getter
0: back in the movie we don't care about stink I know Stingenstein and and Eva the bride They're off on their horse riding trip They end up at the Most poorly maintained crypt I've ever Seen the two of them go down underground And there are just bones and Skulls (laughs) and you know Discarded bodies all over the Place and Eva picks up A skull and and Stingenstein tells Her that you know hey this is what we look Like under our skin And Eva says you know like well can I keep It and he's like no you can't keep it you gotta keep it here You gotta leave it here so Eva's kind of pissed off so let's get back to ronaldo
1: let me Uh, just say real quick a if i were to keep uh, a tomb of any kind this is how it would look because i would be playing assassin's creed when i should be playing uh cleaning up the crypt that's just a weakness in me
0: i remember as youth you and i and others who will remain nameless i know
1: exactly concocting a
0: plan (laughs) concocting a plan to go, to go dig up Frank Sutton's corpse. Uh-huh. Frank Sutton played- Sergeant um, Carter. On Gomer Pyle USMC. He's buried in our hometown. And we thought, how awesome would it be to go dig up his body and thereby defile his grave, steal his skull, and put it on top of our television and watch an episode of Gomer Pyle USMC- and see Frank Sutton, the actor, yelling at Jim Neighbors with his actual skull on top of our television. Yes, we
1: never did this. No, but by the but way. there were let's say conservatively over the years there was probably a solid three hours of conversation about it. We
0: we scouted the location mm-hmm. on at least two
1: occasions yeah. that I can remember. Honestly, if you could tell me. That I could have the skull of my choosing. Sergeant Carter is well up on that list because of the history of it. It goes, Neil deGrasse Tyson, when he passes away, God rest his soul. Sergeant Carter, and of course, Clancy Brown. Because you know that's a big skull. That's, that's value for your skull dollar is what that is.
0: I would go with Carol Spinney. Because then I would be able to tell everybody, hey, that's a big bird skull. And oh, then I'd, yeah. I'd explain it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest, though. If you could have any skull, if someone said, you can, living or dead, we're not going to kill the person. But when they pass away, you get their skull treated like you don't have, it's not going to come all goopy and gross. It's just going to be a nice bleach, <laughs> a nice bleach skull, Chad, you know, suitable for framing. Is, is there a, an individual that you're like, that's the skull I would want? I would go with
0: Franklin Langella and then I would dress it up like Skeletor oh. and just put it on my shelf. And then I would have, a, I would have a conversation piece.
1: I would want the guy who was toad from raiders of the lost ark just so i could compare it against the movie and see how close they got
0: Frank jelly he played skeletor right uh, yeah no that? you're absolutely okay. right i was thinking for a minute i was like holy shit is that it? did i get that
1: yeah no 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 I, right. we both had i have similar ideas oh yeah but anyway right. so uh but uh, yes i i would like a skull um listeners if you have a, skull a celebrity that you would like to get rid of
0: Please don't send it to us. We don't really want You can skulls. email
1: picksixmovies at gmail.com, subject line, a skull for bow.
0: Right. Do us all a favor and just CC the FBI and your local <laughs> sheriff's office at the exact same time.
1: <laughs> the local groundskeeper. Let him know that you're going to be coming victor says he wants to ride horses which is great because it's more of the childlike kind of stuff but alexi sales and particularly bella his his buddy is like you want to ride horses you can ride horses and they kind of set him up to get on a horse that's going to buck him off and whatnot and it's a real jerk move because again victor has done nothing to nobody has done as far as his circus life goes he has been nothing but kind and helpful he's working for half wages and doing the work of of two regular employees at least according to naldo and i trust him
0: yeah we're back at castle stingenstein now (laughs) and the housekeeper comes in uh and tells stingenstein that eva the bride is gone and there's a storm outside because it storms here apparently every single night. Stingenstein leaves on horseback to go find her but not before putting on one of his luxurious Dracula capes. Um <laughs> he goes off and he finds her back at the crypt and she's standing there in the rain surrounded by these rotting corpses and Eva uh, the bride is wearing a white nightgown and she's covered in water in case a wet t-shirt contest breaks out. Right. And it's here that Eva asks Sting, "Who am I?" and Sting says, "You're Eva." My ward. And and Eva says, who is my father? And Sting says, well, nobody knows because, you know, Papa was a Rolling Stone, right?
1: <laughs> right.
0: So Eva wants to know where she came from. And, Sting and Sign says that she's from Bracor, where she was found. And Eva wants to go home. And then she just faints, which... I don't know. She just faints. We gotta, we gotta end this scene somehow, right? So and Stegenson kinda-
1: is like, every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you because he's getting real creepy throughout these scenes he starts to get a real look in his eye like i really i know i said i wasn't gonna fuck her but i think i'm gonna fuck her
0: the two of them are now fireside and stingenstein says that he can give eva the bride a life now that it but only if she trusts him and in this scene stingenstein is sitting in this giant red velvet you know smoking chair or something and even the bride is sitting on the floor at his feet and she says she's so cold then she rests her head in his lap and he almost touches her head but he stops himself and it's just like oh this is getting kind of creepy no it's creepy it's not kind of creepy it's just getting creepy
1: yeah yeah i mean it's very much a i wonder if she can see my erection I mean, it's 100% there. I saw her nipples earlier, and I can't shake that.
0: We cut back to the circus, and uh, the mulleted asshole friend assistant of the, the circus manager, they're watching Ronaldo do his high-wire act. And Victor Creature sort of stumbles into the tent, and he sees Ronaldo up on the trapeze, and... Victor creature thinks that Ronaldo is in real trouble. And it's here that we get kind of this reenactment from Dumbo because there are kids and they're laughing at Ronaldo. And then Victor creature is just running around below, worried for his friend. Right. Ronaldo! And when Ronaldo! Re- when Ronaldo falls and his wire um, causes him to swing, he slams into Victor creature and everyone cheers. And it's at this point that the act is better than ever. And the crowd goes wild.
1: Right. It is a hundred percent. A better act than it was before. Like Ronaldo knows they're on to something, and you can see in uh, like Alexei Sale's eyes, like he just hates Ronaldo because Ronaldo is becoming a star. He's he's making himself essential to this circus, and all Alexei Sale wants to do is to get rid of this guy. It's just one of those things where he's got an, an axe to grind. It's kind of a Billy Budd sort of thing of just like, look, this guy has really done nothing. To piss me off directly. I just kinda hate him. Which, by the way, this may be the first time Billy Bud has been used in reference to this movie. And I would like my set of steak knives, please.
0: In the next scene, Ronaldo goes in to uh Alexi Sale and he's essentially saying, Look, I want more money for this act that we stole from Dumbo. And pretty much, you know, demands it because he's like, Look, we are a big draw. And he agrees that he will pay them more money with his weird mulleted friend in the background. And he's, you know, playing with like a switchblade knife. Remember that it's going to come up in a little bit. Back at the castle... Mm. (sighs) Unfortunately, Eva the Bride comes down the stairs and she's all fancied up like a lady. And Stingenstein and Eva, they then go to this formal dinner party at some neighboring castle. I don't really know where it is and neither do you and why should you care? It's here that Stingenstein shows off Eva to some countess, I think. It would have made more sense if the countess had seen Eva as like a wild person and then now she's refined. Because I don't understand why this countess would be impressed that, hey, here's a woman that behaves normally. As opposed to a wild beast.
1: So, a couple of things go down in this scene, which is A, she is mostly coming off like a person. And she's making eyes at Carrie Elways, who is about 14 years old in this movie, and it looks like he was taken from some fancy lad's prep school and shoved onto the set of this.
0: The Countess gives uh, Carrie Elways like this heads up in reference to Eva. And then Carrie always winks back at his mom, letting her know that he's gonna hit that, which <laughs>
1: <bleh>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's just like, hey, look at this piece. You think you're gonna hit that for old moms? Even the bride
0: spouts off a bunch of refined nonsense about Shakespeare, and all the men in the room are like, harum,
1: harum. <laughs> A woman <laughs> speaking her mind? Harum harum. Right. Well, but all of this is quickly undone by the the entrance of a cat and <laughs> As soon as it, Eva sees this cat, she takes a page out of Stingenstein's book. Except instead of yelling <laughs> no, she just growls at the cat. Just, and everyone's like the fuck, except for Carrie Elwes, who's like, hmm. She strikes me as quite the wild cat in bed. I don't want to marry crazy. I'll fuck crazy, but I'm not going to marry crazy. Yeah. Well, and Sting is like, the fuck was all that about, Ava? And she's like, well, you never told me what a cat was. And I thought it was just a small tiger. And let's be honest, even if... <laughs> <laughs> and I say this as a cat owner. I, I adore cats. I think cats are, are fascinating animals. Even if I didn't know that, though. And I thought what had wandered in was a miniature tiger I would be like, this is the fucking cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, my, my my knee-jerk reaction would not be to yell at it and piss in the corner to mark my territory. But I also haven't been resurrected from the dead in nearly six years.
0: That's some important context.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think listeners ought to know that. So, back at the movie we care about, Naldo uh, collects his money from Alexei Sale. And he's like, nice doing business with you, Alexei. Say hello to Rick and Neil for me. And then he takes off. And Alexei Sale is just like, I fucking hate that guy so much. And Bella, his Lost Boys fuck buddy, because they're fucking for 100%. There's like, that's not even subtext in this movie. They are absolutely having sex. They are lovers. There is no doubt in my mind about that.
0: If they're not having sex, one of them just chokes the other with a belt while the choke e is masturbating they just spot one another or something
1: <laughs> they're just mutually fans of auto erotic asphyxiation and they just spot each other the, eh, it's a weird way to build a relationship but it ain't the weirdest thing i ever heard
0: i have a question for you
1: yeah the answer is you put the belt around <laughs> your neck and you just kind of lean <laughs> no, forward no, that's oh. not the, that's
0: not the that's not the, that's not the, question. the, the... Question I have for you is, am I the only person that whenever I hear that a celebrity has hung themselves, I immediately think that they died from autoerotic asphyxiation?
1: I don't think you're the only person, but I think the other people are in prison. (laughs) So, you know, that's good company.
0: (laughs) And then when I hear that, I think, you know what? They died doing what they loved. Good for them.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that Michael Hutchins... If he could turn back the clock, would be like, you know what? I I regret nothing. I would have done it all the same way. David Carradine, same thing. (laughs) No, wouldn't change a thing. I would not live in infamy as the guy who died with a dick in one hand and a belt around the neck. With a pool of dried semen between my legs. This got dark. Hey, man, you brought it up. I was just
0: looking for a simple yes or no. <laughs> I was asking for a friend. I don't think that. Wait, yes, I do. I think that's how I introduced the question. Shit.
1: Yeah, it's something I think about too much. Um, yeah. So are we back at the castle? Yeah. And, and so, Sting goes to his opium room. <laughs> Where he, he has the same problem that Richard Grant from Bram Stoker's Dracula does, where he's like trying to keep up appearances, but he also likes the Yayo. So he ganks up and then he's like all all horny and ready to fuck because he's he's got a little loosey and the goosey now. And so he uh creeps in on Eva and again it's just Every breath you take and then she wakes up and oh, just like magic, he has gone.
0: <laughs> the next day Eva goes out for a ride on the horse and she comes across carrier ways and he introduces himself as Baron Who Gives a Shit. It doesn't matter his name. These two go off riding horses together, and then, hooray, we're back at the circus. And the the mullet asshole uh, sees Victor creature working by the horses, and again, Victor says that he wants to ride a horse, and the the mulleted asshole kind of mocks Victor, and then puts Victor on this sort of untamed horse because the mulleted asshole is an asshole and the horse bucks and throws victor creature off while you know all of the other soakers folk have a good laugh but then Ronaldo comes in to defend victor creature and Ronaldo starts just knocking down men three times his size he, on their asses. Yeah. <laughs> the mulleted asshole pulls out his knife on Ronaldo, and then Victor Creature just hulks up and jumps between Ronaldo and the, the, the mulleted asshole. And all the onlookers laugh, and Ronaldo and Victor Creature just sort of leave the scene without it getting any worse. Right. And it's a good it's a really good scene of of just Ronaldo protecting Victor and then Victor protecting Ronaldo.
1: Yeah. They are friends till the end. No no question about it. And it's uh yeah, it, it is a really nice scene and why linger there when we can go back to stupid Eva and Sting and Stein. And so Ava and her hair uh go to Sting's laboratory and which uh, has been like all bricked up and you know stigenstein is like oh you don't need to worry about what's in there and she's like hey how come you got thrown out of school and he's like who told you about that look it was me and some friends we'd had a few drinks one night it was a a game we called devil's triangle see topical and (laughs) so he's not even a real doctor, right? Like that's the thing is finally we get an answer to why he's such a shitty man scientist. And it's because he's not a real scientist. He's just a guy who likes opium and electricity.
0: And apparently decapitating women and storing their bodies in giant tubes of purple fluid.
1: (laughs) Right. That ain't fluid. So I don't know what that (laughs) means. So she, (laughs) She uh, keeps asking about her past, and he's like, "Eva, you don't want to know. And she's like, I do want to know. And he's like, you don't want to know. And she's like, I totally want to know. And he's like, shut up. No. And then. Well, well Eva asks who found her
0: in the woods, and Sting says, mm, it was a woodcutter. Yeah, so, right. so at this point, she's basically what? An electrified version of Goldie Hawn in Overboard. Right, you just you just sort of washed up into the woods, maybe.
1: Right. I don't know. Why did you do that? Yeah, why did you do that? Yeah. So stay tuned. So so let's get back to the movie we like. Where um Alexi Sales' fuck buddy has sabotaged the harness for uh Ronaldo. He he basically cuts one of the straps. And so this is a real uh what is it, suspicion? Is that the Hitchcock movie? The bomb under the table? It's that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: he cuts the rope. You have the harness because they got to get Ronaldo out of the picture. And so Ronaldo gets up on the trapeze. The act is going down. Victor creature is below. He leaps off the trapeze into the crowd and just lands crunch into the bleachers. And it is a real downer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because it's been the only part of the movie that's been really substantially good. And uh, Victor carries him out of the tent. And Nalto gives him this speech about, like, you know, it, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. Like, you and me, we're, we're pals, right? You and me, we're we're good buddies. And it's okay. And here, take this. And it's his, you know, the, the Venice necklace that he wears. And then he fucking dies. He just, you know, I'll see you, old pal, somewhere down the road. And he's gone. And then we cut briefly to ava crying because again you know we're sharing emotions and whatnot and victor
0: dames (laughs) am i right guys
1: (laughs) right just completely inconstant and emotional
0: when ronaldo dies it's terribly sad in this movie
1: yeah (laughs) i mean right because the only friend victor's ever had and a good friend is suddenly gone and now victor is either going to continue to be abused and work for the circus, or he's going to be cast out alone. The one characteristic of Victor is that he just didn't want to be alone. You know, he just wanted a friend.
0: Yeah, Victor holds Ronaldo in his arms as he dies. And as soon as his life expires, he just says, I love you, my friend. And he holds him and, and he's all but just weeping. And it's, I'm telling you, it is just Heartbreaking in this film. It's so good. And this movie is so incredibly bad. <laughs> Clancy Brown, David Rappaport are just phenomenal. Yeah. The rest of it is
1: just a mess. If this had been a retelling of the Frankenstein story, starring Clancy Brown as the monster, and when he goes, you know, like after he's created and and Stingenstein casts him out, like no. And it kicks him out of the castle. And the story in between him showing back up to confront his creator had been this story with Ronaldo. It would have been a legitimately a good version of the Frankenstein story. It would have been very different, but all the beats would have been there. And it would have been emotional and compelling and all that stuff. So we have a moment here that if you're me, the the moment of catharsis that you've been waiting for... Which is for Victor to realize, because he sees a Lost Boy guy coming out of Ronaldo's uh, and Victor's wagon, you know, looking for money and shit. And Victor ain't the, the sharpest knife in the shed, but he can put two and two together. Well, he sees him coming out, and then Victor goes into
0: their wagon, and he essentially, he puts on a, a coat and a hat, and he's just getting out of town, right? Sure, because then once he puts on the coat, in a way, he's growing into a more refined gentleman. And as Victor is like, "Look, I'm leaving this circus. This is terrible." He goes past Alexei Seel's wagon and overhears the the Lost Boy mullet asshole say, essentially that he's the one that killed Ronaldo. And it is here that Victor creature just goes full on incredible Hulk, circa 1985. <laughs>
1: He knocks the, the wagon over, killing Bela, the, the Lost Boys saxophone player.
0: He flips over the circus wagon, and it is a huge wagon, and it is great. Then he picks up the mulleted asshole. He throws him in the air, and this guy lands on these giant spikes that are adjacent to a tiger cage. Right, right, right. It is the best. I mean, he is impaled down the middle of his torso on these giant spikes that I think are there to keep, you know, stupid people and children away from, you know, a, a live tiger. But it's just like, oh my God. Yes. This is, as you said, this is the catharsis you want. Rinaldo is dead and now his murderer has died an equally violent death. It's so good.
1: But because Victor is now undeniably a murderer as well the rest of the circus who was pretty much pro victor ronaldo at this point is like holy shit man that big ass quiet dude went all (laughs) lenny and murdered uh, alexei sales fuck buddy you know the one that watches him when he's jerking off with the belt around his neck and they're like yeah of course i know we see it all the time and he's like yeah he killed that guy and they're like what how's alexei sale gonna (laughs) successfully choke himself and (laughs) masturbate now and that's his problem. yeah and they're like we don't know i guess he's gonna have to get somebody else and f- they break themselves away from that conversation <laughs> to then chase victor out of the circus so he he runs off into the woods and sure enough he has somehow made his way back to nearby castle Stingenstein, sign apparently
0: yeah back at the part of the movie we don't like right eva the bride is riding her horse in the woods and somehow she encounters the part of the movie that we absolutely love, and she finds Victor Creature sleeping in the woods. And at this point, he is wearing this overcoat. He has draped a thin scarf around his neck. His hair is now a little bit longer and more full than the start of the film, and it's even combed, and he looks less like a monster and more like a man. Victor Creature recognizes Eva, but she does not recognize him at this point. And Victor Creature tells her that he's going away from man. And Eva gives him a coin to take on his travels. And he takes the offering and he touches her hand in this very intimate way as he takes the coin, you know, from her palm, which reminded me a lot of a guy I knew growing up um, named Ben Kennedy, who in high school, when he would go through a drive through and the worker there would say, you know, whatever, you know, your value meal is like $4.27, and they would reach out for money. He would reach out with two hands, and one hand he would hand the money to the worker, and then with the other hand, he would creepily caress, like, the underside of their fingers. Right. Which, <laughs> yes, which would, which would make the... <laughs> the fast food worker recoil in fear that this stranger was touching them in such an intimate personal way. Well, sure.
1: It is off putting to say the least. When a stranger touches you in a way that is that intimate, your initial reaction is like, what the fuck? And naturally that is, uh, not really Eva's reaction in this situation. She doesn't recoil in horror or anything like say a fast food worker. (laughs) But it's clear that she feels some kind of connection to him just as he feels a a connection to her. And then he gives her the Venice medallion. And, you know, it's like, my friend, Naldo give this to me. You take it now. Eva asks
0: Victor, she says, do I know you? And he looks at her and pauses for a moment and then just shakes his head side to side and he says no. And And then he goes on his way. And this scene completely works for me it made me so sad for him it just it broke my heart it's he's so good in this role
1: i mean that's the thing is that clancy brown is so amazing in this movie that even when as you said you know these two movies one of which we like and one of which we don't it's basically like dumping raisins into chocolate and you're like oh this is gonna fucking suck Because I love chocolate, but somebody got the bright idea to dump a bunch of raisins into it. (laughs) You know, this is going to be terrible. And then you're like, oh, no, this is all right. Okay, all right, let's keep going with this. And (laughs) so um, then Victor, in a scene that is truly, I think, my favorite scene of the film, is Victor then decides he's going to buy something shiny for Ava. He's going to buy her some jewelry. And he comes across this, basically, a a traveling salesman of sorts, you know, kind of a con man. And he finds this gaudy bit of, like, costume glass jewelry that's multicolored. And because poor Victor is a bit simple, he thinks that this is beautiful because of all the different colors. Not unlike the stained glass he saw in the church. Exactly. And... So he he says, I I want this necklace. And the guy selling is like, well, how much do you have? And Victor just hands him all the money he's got, which is no small amount given the fact that this is like the money that they had made at the circus that he and Naldo had made. So it's a a fair amount of money and enough that the guy who sells him this tacky bit of jewelry looks at it and is like, holy shit. Like I've I've done hit the jackpot, yoink, and takes all of the money. But yeah, he even says he was
0: like he's like yeah, I think this is just enough to to pay for it. You barely have enough,
1: kind of thing. right. He takes all the gold from Victor, and then Victor starts. You're pissed off at this guy <laughs> oh, in this movie. Something fierce. You, you
0: can't watch this with that. You just your blood will boil <laughs> that this man has stolen all of this money from the character that you have such an emotional connection
1: to yeah it. hey hey, nobody fucks with victor victor does the fucking and yeah and so like victor is wandering off with a smile on his face and this you know shitty piece of costume jewelry in his hand and then the guy who has sold this to him has this crisis of conscience and is like wait 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 you know what, I think actually you gave me a little too much. And he ends up giving most of the money back. Like, he's still coming out like a bandit in this situation. But he's giving the the lion's share of money back to Victor. It's like, well, at the very least, he's not a monster, you know? And it's these little moments of kindness that... I really like in this movie where where Victor like you have uh, either with Ronaldo or with Ava or like with this character where it's like oh this movie actually takes the stance that you know what humanity can be real shitty but also we can be kind to one another and I, I really think it's a terrific scene. You, There's a real emotional roller coaster here of oh my god I hope this guy dies of, of some sort of testicular cancer right in front of me.
0: Is there a tiger cage with some giant spikes around here?
1: Right, right. And then, fortunately, he he comes to his senses and does something that's actually decent. So, Victor, then just fucking, you know, Nathan Drake, climbs the castle wall of, of uh, you know, Castle Stingenstein, and um, he is ready to give Ava the shitty necklace, but then he sees her through the window... Being dressed by, you know, Mrs. Haversham or whoever the housekeeper is. And he realizes that, like, this honest-to-goodness diamond necklace that she is now wearing. That what he's got in his hand is no comparison to something like that. That looks elegant and beautiful. So he just takes his shitty necklace, goes to the river, and throws it in the river. Because this movie wants to break your heart a little bit more.
0: We're back at the castle. And a party is happening. It's a masquerade party. I'm not sure why this is happening or what kind of staff is there to handle this party There's only two people work in castle Stingenstein that we've seen so far. There's that main Mrs. Haversham housekeeper. And then there's this other guy, the one that was holding up the dead bird pinata, that guy comes out and he's carrying this snow globe. Um, that's really large. And inside the snow globe are people at a masquerade party and Stingenstein walks over and he gives the snow globe a spin and then glitter spins about inside the giant snow globe. But then at the same time, glitter begins to pour down like it's a political convention. <laughs> and you just know that the help was completely, fuck this shit. I am not cleaning this up. Like, look at this. I am not cleaning this up because glitter is everywhere. It's in people's food. It's in their drinks, their mouth, their hair, their eyes. Glitter is Everywhere. Eva the Bride sees Carrie Elway's off in the distance, and it's this part of the party where everybody kind of pairs up to go have what I'm going to guess is like unprotected VD-laced hallway <laughs> sex.
1: Yeah, <laughs> medieval sex just means that at best you're putting your dick in like a goat testicle condom. But that's only for the true rich uh, of of the time. It's mostly just these syphilitic rods that you're hurling into an equally syphilitic pocket.
0: I'm thinking best case scenario, you come out of this pregnant.
1: (laughs) Right. And you hope that the child isn't just a giant herpes. (laughs) A lot of the ice pirates. (laughs) We may
0: come to that in (laughs) an upcoming season. Stingenstein is upset that Eva has left with Carrie Elways and he goes off looking for them and he just finds other people about his home groping each other and I cannot imagine the random semen stains left after a party like this just puddles of sex fluid have to be everywhere
1: <laughs> what does it smell like bleach in here oh that's not bleach <laughs>
0: Stingenstein sees his buddy Ichabod sucking on some woman's breast as he wanders the hallways of his home. And he doesn't look too surprised by this. Like, you know, like, of course that's what he would be doing. Stingenstein comes a- across Eva and Carrie Elways in the hall, and Carrie Elways is sitting beside her, and he's kissing on her, and she's holding Carrie Elways' hand. And would her sexual arousal cause Victor Creature to get a boner at this point? I
1: would imagine so.
0: They left that scene out.
1: When she's rubbing the bean, he's, you know, cranking it along with her.
0: Naldo, he got big. (laughs) And then the party's over. The next day, Stingenstein is talking with his buddy about their misogynistic world philosophy. And then Eva corrects Stingenstein on who wrote Prometheus Unbound. And uh, Stingenstein gets all bent out of shape. So we come back to the part of the movie that we love. And we're in some pub. And a bunch of Soakers folk get wind that Victor creature's around. And so what do they do? They form an angry mob, and they chase Victor creature through the streets. And he hides against a wall as the crowd runs past him, kind of like the Beatles in (laughs) hell. I kind of wanted to see him, like on a park bench with a newspaper Uh hiding his face, or like maybe wearing a beard next to a poster with his face on it, or something like that. Right,
1: going through both sides of a limousine.
0: Then, in a nice little head fake, um, a blind guy approaches victor creature and uh you think like oh blind guys love you know the creature (laughs) in a, a frankenstein story but then he immediately rats him out he's like he's over here which first off how did this blind guy know that that's victor creature
1: he's blind i think it's more a matter of like hey this guy seems like a monster and therefore whether or not this is the killer I am not going to let another possibly malformed and debilitated person take my begging dollars. <laughs> this is my corner. Right. Th- this belongs to me. So he's just like, I got him. I got him right here. And, uh, and, yeah. And the crowd comes running and they just all jump on top of him and he's, he's captured. We have done put, uh, Victor in a cage, which is, uh, also very sad.
0: So we're back at the castle. Stingenstein is eating dinner. And then he demands that his housekeeper, Mrs. Haversham, go uh, fetch Eva the bride. And the housekeeper says she can't because she's not there. And then Stingenstein threatens to break the housekeeper's arm if she doesn't tell him where Eva the bride is. And so the housekeeper says that Eva has run off with Carrie Elway's. And to reward his housekeeper, Stingenstein fires her on the spot because he's just a dick.
1: Yeah, he's a real baby man. But again, let's keep in mind that he is either A, on drugs, or B, coming off of drugs. So, we know that about him now. And he's also a liar, because he's not really a doctor. So, he's just a weirdo that happened upon some ancient knowledge of how to bring back the dead. And for all his high-mindedness about, like, oh, I'm going to make a modern woman and whatnot, he is just a an addict who eventually is going to come around to wanting to have sex with dead bodies.
0: (laughs) Carrie Elway's is with Eva and it's sexy time. The two of them are kissing and she's getting all revved up again. Presumably Victor creature is getting an erection while he's chained to a dungeon wall. Carrie Elway's, is kissing on eva while she lays on the bed and she's really enjoying it and then he gets to first base then he gets to second base then stingenstein just shows up and whips carrie elways across the back with a cane and then he slaps him across the face and he says i'll kill you for this and it's here that carrie elways looks just like wesley from the princess (laughs) his bangs hang down over his face and after he gets this death threat he says as you like sir and i'm telling you he might as well have said as you wish. right
1: that yeah, to the pain whenever a woman looks upon you and says my god what is that thing
0: it's 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 so strange maybe a couple years younger but it's
1: it's him it, yeah it, it's like we're seeing wesley grow up before our eyes only in this case he's just like yeah i was gonna fuck her it didn't mean nothing
0: stigenstein tells eva put on your clothes which first off she's completely dressed so i don't mean i don't know
1: if that means she needs to what put on her cape she's got one shoe off oh heavens to betsy look at me showing off ankle
0: we get back to the castle and stingenstein is just scolding eva you know saying how could you do this to me and then eva says "Uh, you taught me that a woman should do as she pleases just as a man and stingenstein Tells Eva that she has to obey him and then she tells him to piss off and then push comes to shove and Eva the bride, she finally exerts her independence by saying, you know, you didn't create me. And it's here that Stingenstein says, as a matter of fact, I did, and that he sewed her together out of corpses and brought her to life by means of an electrical charge, blah, 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 blah. Stingenstein then escorts her down to his opium den. And you know what? This movie is just stupid. He shows her the charred remains of his journals about how he made her. And the journals look like overcooked quesadillas. They're just sort of <laughs> these like beige things with burnt parts she starts reading through these and then she she screams in pain as she reads through how she was brought to life and then we cut to victor creature who feels her pain from his jail cell
1: and as she is ultimately burning the journals as well sting decides now is the time to get real rapey because this is what we've been building up to the whole movie it's just him being like i can't control it no more and i gotta have sex with this woman i made And Victor, of course, is like, fuck this, you know, because he's the one decent soul in the film.
0: But she asks him, where is the creature that I was made for? And Stingenstein says he died in the tower fire. And so now Eva is
1: alone, just like the creature was before she was created. She does not see herself as human in the same way that the monster uh, did not. Stingenstein starts to put the moves on her and Victor breaks out, grabs a horse like he's fucking Zorro.
0: I love it. When he, when he breaks out, he goes to the horse and he goes up to his face and he says, my friend, my friend, help me please. And cause he's never ridden a yeah. horse. And then he gets on the horse's back and he rides off to save the woman. That was created for him. His literally his soulmate.
1: Right, but let's not. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, this part of it. Yes, like anything to do with Victor is, is fine because even him asking permission from the horse is just the most adorable thing. And so he, you know, makes it to to Castle Stingenstein and bus in like in the midst of Stink's sexual assault, and then they just gotta chase each other around.
0: He busts in. It is a real, hey, you, get your damn hands off of her moment. <laughs> I've been waiting
1: three weeks to say that. <laughs> it was worth it. Ava, your <laughs> density. No, Victor, mean destiny.
0: Stingenstein grabs a log from the fireplace to keep Victor creature at bay. He tosses some booze on Victor Creature's arm and then sets that on fire, which Victor Creature comically then begins to set the entire room on fire. Eva... Passes out and then Victor Creature puts Out his uh, arm so he doesn't have Any fire on it and then the two of Them sort of chase each other and They run down to the laboratory which Again has this walled up entrance Victor Creature goes on full rhino and just Knocks down the wall Stingenstein With this torch sort of chases him Up the staircase and we we end up back where the movie Began and Victor Creature and Stingenstein are there doing Battle on uh, the Top of this tower and by that I mean The soundstage and then Stingenstein and Victor Creature Two characters that have had less than, what, 60 seconds of scream time together in this movie? Yeah. Battle in hand to hand combat
1: for about, what, 15 seconds? <laughs> right. It is the biggest nothing. But just like everything to do with Stingenstein in this movie, it just don't matter. You know? It's just a bunch of stuff that comes up and is immediately discarded. Like, you could almost wholesale remove The Bride from the movie The Bride. And you're only out like 20 minutes of screen time. Most of the movie is Victor and Ronaldo or Victor on the road or whatever. And, but yeah, and Steve just kind of falls off the tower and Ava is like, are you him? And he's like, of fucking course I am. Do you look at this face? (laughs) Look at these scars. What? Of course there is this kind of wonderful moment where she's like, I have so many questions for you where suddenly Victor is placed in the role of being not the dominant personality or anything, but of of being somehow necessary, being integral to someone's life.
0: Once he enters her room to check on her, he looks like a gentleman. He's wearing a coat. His shirt is tucked in. His hair is surprisingly combed. He has this neckerchief that he's wearing, and he says, I have a name. It is Victor. And then she says, it's a good name. It means he who will win these two storylines, the one we really love and the one that we don't care anything about come together. You can just see everything moving forward. It's, it's really well done.
1: Well, speaking of everything moving forward, Jed, the, Oh my God, the like Franklin mint collectors plate ending of this movie. It's a real fart. (laughs) I love it. So, we see uh, Ava and Victor sailing away. Like, they decide they're going to go to the new world. They're they're going to go off to America where they can seek opportunity and whatnot. And there is this, like, s- superimposed Ronaldo in, on one half of the screen that I swear to God, it does look like a commemorative plate for the film. Like, if you were to order, like, hey, act now. There are only a thousand of these things. And if you want your bride commemorative plate, where you get Victor and Ava on a boat on one side, and Ronaldo ghost-like on the other, and a a special oak-ish stand so you can present this to your loved ones when they don't come to visit you, it is so bad. But it is also one of the things I love most about the movie, where it's just like, you don't need this. You don't, like, this does not add any emotional heft to this film and in fact kind of drains it of some of the impact because it's so goofy. You also get Ronaldo providing a little voiceover and he says,
0: remember, follow your dream. It's the key to everything. Yeah, It's a real fortune cookie
1: moment, right? It's like, this just isn't needed. All you need to do is see Victor and Ava sailing away together and we
0: get it. We also get shots of gondolas that are on the water with Victor Creature and Eva. And I'm guessing maybe they're in Venice or something. I, I don't know. But I mean, it is a real pfft of an ending. You're <laughs> right. just like, that. that's it? That's the end?
1: Yeah, but eh, all right. I mean, at the same time, it's there are so many bad scenes in this movie that it's amazing that it works at all, even a little bit. And the fact that so much of it works as well as it does is it's almost counterintuitive. I cannot argue with that.
0: That's I think it's a fair assessment. Is this a good movie? No. Are there moments in this movie that are great? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. That That's kind of the thing is, I mean, do you recommend this to someone? And it's like, well, I mean, yes, but also no. Look, anytime. <laughs> Sting is on the screen. Just prepare yourself for a scene that's not going to be very good to outright bad. On the other hand, anytime that it's Clancy Brown and David Rappaport together, it is the best movie we'll talk about this season.
0: I would say that that is arguably going to be the way we wrap up our next episode as we are going to be discussing the Wolfman starring Benicio del Toro and Sir Anthony Hopkins, a movie that in my opinion is incredibly good. Anytime Anthony Hopkins is on screen and is incredibly boring. Whenever Benicio del Toro is on screen.
1: <laughs> yeah. They say uh film acting most of the time is less is more, right? You just kind of let the, the camera roll and it will, it will pick up on subtleties, but that doesn't work. If you're not even providing subtlety, we need a Victor Frankenstein to reanimate Benicio del Toro. Am I right?
0: It's a movie that almost feels like they went to Madame Trousseau's and got the Benicio del Toro, (laughs) (laughs) the Benicio del Toro lifelike representation and just sort of stuck it on the screen and then CGI'd in some lip movements. But that's for next week. You're saying that you would, you would recommend the bride or not recommend the Bride?
1: Yeah, like I said, I've seen this movie a bunch of times when I was a kid. It had been a long time uh, since I'd seen it, watching it again as an adult. And I still am really a sap for those, those scenes with Rabaport and Clancy Brown. I think Clancy Brown is great in the, like unreservedly. He he has a great take on, on the, the monster and like the, the scenes that we were talking about with them just talking about being friends and stuff. Like I'm a sucker for that stuff. I'm a real soft touch. And I, as I get older, I find myself like getting teary at movies that I shouldn't. And this is a movie, like, the the scene with the monster and the, the junk jewelry when the guy gives him back the money and scenes like that. And, 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 and even the scenes of Rappaport seeing the scars on him and things like that. Like, I get a little misty in those scenes because, I don't know, apparently my brain is just getting soft in my old age and you know i'm a half step away from like hallmark commercials making me cry
0: so that's it for this episode uh, of the bride again next week we will be reviewing the wolfman starring benicio del toro and sir anthony hopkins so as always like rate review tell your friends send us an email picksixmovies.com, or on facebook twitter all that kind of good stuff and uh thank you so much for spending some time with us we have one more episode left in this season so please come back next week as we will be discussing the wolfman